0: Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis. So the summer is winding down pretty much over. The summer blockbuster season has come and gone, which means that we are about to head into what is known in the US as The Fall, which is what I'll be referring it to as because I've been here too long. But to the rest of the world is The Autumn, and The Autumn brings all of the movies that critics like, all of the films that are going to get nominated for awards, uh, but also the odd disreputable horror movie or belated blockbuster uh, as blockbuster creep moves further and further out of the summer to pretty much any month of the year and so we're going to talk in this episode about the films that look interesting coming out over the next four months and to help me with this as uh, at the start of the year is uh john hunter hi john how are you hello and uh, thanks very
1: much for having me back yeah I, I tend to as a pale person i tend to vanish for the summer so i haven't <laughs> been with you for a few months but uh, thank you very much for having me back
0: <laughs> well yeah you have to run and hide into a movie theater as as i do yes yeah I've lived in Florida for five years now and I've, I always say that I've had a cumulative amount of about two hours of sunshine because I just <laughs> it doesn't agree with me <laughs> I just I just burn instantly so it's been nice this summer in particular having the opportunity to go into the movie theaters and watch a surprisingly good array of blockbusters not great across the board but there have been a few uh, that I was really impressed by. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah.
1: I'd look forward to hearing which ones those were because I clearly missed some of them. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Uh, but before we get onto that, uh, I think we should just take a few moments to uh, mourn the uh, the death of Toby Hooper who died uh either today or yesterday. The news certainly broke this morning on the day that we're recording this. For those who don't know, Toby Hooper was a primarily a horror director who is most famous and most influential for being the director of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre which for my money, is still probably one of the greatest horror movies ever made, even though it's 40-something years old at this point, more than that. It's uh, it's a movie that retains a great deal of power and menace to it. I know that I first watched it, I think, on its first airing on the BBC like 10 or 15 years ago, because it's one of those movies that they just wouldn't show for a very, very long time. And it came with like an introduction from Mark Kermode, who talked about what an important piece of work it was. And even with that kind of academic baseline for it and description, it was still probably the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Uh, And it remains one of the most memorably horrifying things I've I've ever watched.
1: Yes, I think that's a a fair description. I think it's one of those ones you can see as very much an important horror movie. You don't necessarily actually have to like or enjoy it, but I think it's Mm. definitely... Uh, its intensity and and harrowing nature and just the foreboding atmosphere is definitely just you can see that in a lot of horror films that perhaps might also be more palatable in other sort of dimensions but yeah so I think it's just definitely one of the most formative horror movies out there so like al- alongside things like The Exorcist or uh, Night of the Living Dead just definitely uh, one of the sort of cornerstones of the genre I think.
0: Mm, and, and you can really see it as a precursor to the entire slashers genre i'm not the first person to tell this obviously carol clover wrote a whole book about this called men women and chainsaws but like there's a the, there's the idea that it, it establishes a lot of the things like the final girl the unkillable killer this sort of thing but i think it it brings a one of the things that's really striking about it in terms of the the, the longer history of horror is just how unvarnished it is it it is a movie that if you just kind of uh, showed people the non-murder bits, they would assume it's just some sort of like verité documentary about a bunch of unlikable kids going around Texas. Um, it does it does feel like very very real. So when Leavittace start uh, appears and starts kind of jamming people onto hooks, uh, it becomes even more horrifying because it has that basis in reality, uh, which is is kind of hard to shake.
1: Yeah, I think his his skills at establishing something unsettling as being the norm and then even pushing that even further so even elements of that in uh, poltergeist as well of just uh, Mm. actually establishing how uh, there's something uncanny occurring and then by the time things do appear it's almost inevitable rather than a shock but still makes you leap out of your chair when doors suddenly slam and so on so yeah so and uh, by all accounts just from all the sort of masters of horrors dinners that you hear stories from he was also just a delightful gentleman as well i always remember people like eli roth just singing his praises of just being able to go i was sitting next to toby hooper (laughs) 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 which uh, is always just nice to hear sort of like legends like wes craven as well who just like Mm. these people who've just haunted our dreams with their work but just who uh, would also just be this like intelligent, pleasant conversation as well. It's always nice to hear things like that. I think,
0: mm, and he also, it, it does really feel as if that whole generation is slowly going away because we lost Wes Craven last year. I think. I think so. Uh, yeah. So. For, fairly recently year or two John Carpenter's still around but he's not making movies he's making music which is still like a wonderful thing because that's the other thing he was amazing at but it, it does feel as if that whole generation has either stepped aside or is is passing away and i think whenever one of them leaves it does feel as if you're you're losing a giant of the genre
1: yeah it's definitely the the, the formative ones that uh, uh who just their impact will be missed as well as uh, just appreciated i think
0: yeah, but we get a remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre this year, so we'll see if that one is uh, ushers in a, a new generation of horror masters. I don't think it will. Well, spoilers
1: for what you're looking forward to in October,
0: eh? <laughs> I mean, that was one I actually didn't know was happening. It just kind of came up on a list. It's like, Leatherface. Leather oh, okay. So they're, they're going for the Logan um, strategy. I'm just um, like
1: jigsaw as well of course with the new saw movie so anyway i, I believe we're skipping ahead a month we? We,
0: are, we are getting ahead of ourselves so so yeah before we talk about um stuff we're looking forward to or not looking forward to in the autumn let's talk about how the the summer went uh like i said i think it was a not a great summer for blockbusters in general because obviously you had stuff like pirates 5 came out and, and like whenever i say things like pirates 5 to me it just sounds like those old hacky jokes about series that run too long yeah it's just like pirates five transformers five it's like no that's literally how many of them there are now we'll be it looking just... back
1: one day for like jaws 19 as this nostalgic time of Like, <laughs> oh, remember when it was a mere 19
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but but um so so we had movies like those that came out but uh, like one of the nice things about this summer was those movies came out and they largely failed uh they weren't very successful certainly compared to their previous ones like transformers made about half of what the previous movie did worldwide uh, and in the US so it was one of those things where oh everyone's caught on like two films too late but at least everyone's caught on to the fact these movies aren't worth your time and money but there were there was stuff that was legitimately I thought legitimately good I thought the new Spider-Man was hugely fun and enjoyable uh I liked Tom Holland uh in in the lead and I liked the kind of the fun tone of it yeah I think that actually was uh I must
1: admit I'd I'd I kind of went, oh yeah, when I was looking back at what movies we'd had, but I definitely enjoyed being in the cinema for that one. It was a great audience experience as well because I just think the kids in um, uh, all of them in the in the cast were just really really well written, really well performed, and just added a very different atmosphere to uh, any of the Spider Man movies that we've seen before, or Spider Man Six, if you want to keep calling it in terms of <laughs> yeah. our numerical yeah. sequences. But uh, but yeah, but absolutely enjoyed that, and think Tom Holland is a very very good Peter Parker, and of course got uh, michael keaton in there as well doing mm. potentially one of my favorite marvel villains uh in, in the movies so far so
0: yeah yeah the scene of him and peter and peter in the car together was i think the only time genuine menace has been in a marvel movie and that's not to, to ding the other movies for, for not being menacing it's not something they aim for it's just more light-hearted kind of colorful fare but that one is like Oh yeah, he's sat in a car with a guy just pointing a gun at him, and he's just kind of talking to him in that very slow, off-putting way that Michael Keaton has. So obviously, it's going to be terrifying.
1: Yeah, so it's it's just uh, rather than uh, rather than low key, it was low key, and uh, mm. so maybe that's just the other end <laughs> of the scale and just made it actually. Oh god, this is actually more plausible. He could just pull the trigger rather than hang on. I'll just wait for my alien mates to turn up, and uh, we'll all yeah. have a big battle. <laughs> so yeah, so no, that definite highlight.
0: Yeah, the the other moment, I think the thing that I really liked about Spider-Man was there were just lots of fun incidental moments that were just you just kind of watched and you thought, oh, this has nothing to do with the plot, it's just kind of a little funny detail they've left in. And the one that really, really made me laugh was when Peter has to run off and his friend is uh, like standing in the hall and then he turns and talks to someone from the chess club and he just turns to her and at the end of the scene just goes, so how are you doing? And they just go, Chess. And just kind of like shrug as if to say like, I don't know. I don't really know what, what, why you're talking to me. And it was just a really funny bit of odd comedy in the middle of this uh, kind of hugely expensive blockbuster. And I thought, oh, it's it's nice that they left in these kind of weird moments around the edges. Yeah, I mean. Is the, I mean, it, it, you could
1: take out the actual superheroics and still have a hugely entertaining movie there just set in a school of of, of mathletes, basically, wasn't it? But mm. on the other hand, there was just the montage of uh, him as Spider-Man just doing the sort of, again, the sort of low-key, more sort of rescues and errands and, and just generally being helpful, friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man that was, just absolutely endeared me to him. And that was before the film had even sort of gotten underway in terms of its plot. So I just think it was very, very... If you're going to make another Spider-Man film, they, they were very wise to do a very, very different Spider-Man film.
0: Mm. Uh, and uh, to keep it in the superhero realm, I really enjoyed Wonder Woman. Uh, I have problems with the fact that it falls apart in the third act in kind of a major way, and it just becomes... It loses a lot of its sense of humour and just becomes people kind of smashing things up, as is often the case with superhero movies, but especially with the the, the DC universe. But uh, for the first two thirds, I thought it was really winning, really charming, very funny, and just had a a level of kind of humanity and warmth to it that the DC films previously had, had not really exuded.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think that's uh, definitely one of my highlights of the year's Wonder Woman. I just think there's been... Uh, there was just so many smaller aspects to it just simply just even when we're still on the island at the beginning and just seeing all Mm. of the amazons just training with each other i'm just thinking i just not sure i've ever seen this many sort of genuinely awesome women just sort of doing super heroics on screen and it was just uh, Mm. great just to have sort of breath of fresh air of that i mean yes that it it, it's getting going with its origin plot but i still felt that it managed to power it's through its plot and into its third act sort of problems but just through with charm basically it's just I think a lot, there were a lot of comparisons that I agreed with of just the original Richard Donner Superman of just the uh, mm. Clark and Lois relationship. It was the same with Diana and Steve Trevor. So I just think they uh, they really had good chemistry uh, together and just apart as actually well-developed characters. So I just think yeah, it, it, it had a lot of, um, yeah, it, it started in a lot of original ways that just meant it could do an orig- origin story in a way that still felt fresh.
0: Yeah, if only it wasn't kind of weighed down by a framing device that you forget is even there. <laughs> like when, it, when at the end, it's like, oh yeah, this movie did start in modern day Paris. <laughs> Yeah, I think
1: it was important to know that just to set up that Bruce Wayne uh, sends photographs via armed security guards just to show <laughs> that uh, even if he is going to lighten up a bit in the subsequent Justice League movie, he's still a bit weirdly overprotective and closed down about stuff. So it doesn't need that thread going. The DC universe isn't changing that much. <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: yeah. So so baby steps, baby steps, but certainly... in. <laughs> in the right direction uh, and the other kind of blockbuster that i walked away from being uh you know i i, I wouldn't say i was surprised by because i'd like the previous two movies but i did really really like war for the planet of the apes which um was a very in, in comparison to the previous two a very somber um and very kind of sad end question mark to that trilogy i i guess there's a sense that they probably could commit back but that this was definitely a capper to the specific story arc they were telling with with those characters and i thought that it was it was interesting seeing a movie that build itself as going to be this kind of epic showdown between you know these two groups which in actuality was actually a very focused revenge story about caesar going to track down woody harrelson and then it turned out that it was actually and then it kind of becomes kind of more action epic um, action epic towards the end but I, I was impressed by the restraint on display for for the most part
1: yeah I, th- I absolutely agree I, I've really enjoyed this franchise and, and the whole series at large really so um but I think the yeah, I think the, the ideological war of revenge, begatting revenge, and then actually becoming about something else at the end was a, definitely a, a fun, unexpected thing. Like you say, it wasn't just an all-out battle for two mm. hours. But I I guess part of me, I did really enjoy it, and also visually just stunning, just seeing the snow on the ape's fur is just something mm. just that was something to behold. But, um, but I also, I, I don't know, part of me felt that you could have combined it with the second film a little bit more, that it actually was, um, it felt... A bit like it retrod some beats of, of mm. that without necessarily having moved either the humans on the humans are just so despicable and i'm more than happy anytime there's robots or sentient apes sort of on screen i'm more than happy to side with them over humans anytime <laughs> anytime whatsoever but <laughs> i did feel that uh and i think woody harrelson is actually terrific and a really interesting character actually but i felt yeah. that humans as a force were just quite um, a, a very sort of two-dimensional thing at this point, and I almost wondered why haven't the apes taken over already? Humans are rubbish. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, it's definitely a strong trilogy, and uh, just pound for pound, I would say, uh, maybe one of the the most consistent trilogies we've had, even though we've got two sort of directors um, uh, with Rupert Sanders, wasn't it for Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then mm. Matt Reeves ever since. Um, but I, I would say it's just definitely one of the most consistent trilogies, uh, especially in genre, that I can uh, sort of think of. So definitely worth a watch. It was odd, perhaps, that it came out sort of very similar time, in my opinion, to Dunkirk for for the fun mm. summer blockbusters. I was just going, now, shall I go watch Dunkirk or War for the Planet of the Apes? Uh, and what's in the other screen? Huh? Cars 3. Huh? <laughs> okay, so, so, yeah, so it, it did feel that just in the peak of summer, we just had two quite... Oppressive and very mm-hmm. sort of like uh, demanding uh, kind of blockbusters as well. So.
0: Yeah, th- I guess that does make for a change. At least it does make you think. Oh, blockbusters can be something else. They often aren't, but it's nice when someone decides they're going to use their clout to make something strange. Uh, as Dunkirk, I think, genuinely was. It obviously, it's like a something that's based on a very in in England at least a very well known historical event. um In America, it. it 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 was less well known until the film came out at least based on my kind of conversations with people some people who are history buffs know about it but a lot of people uh, don't have that same emotional historical connection that i think a lot of people in the uk have to it and um i thought that it, w- it was very uh interesting to watch a movie that cost that much money and had that kind of big star-studded cast where Most of the characters seemingly don't have names, Mm. (laughs) Um, except for George, obviously. George, you just constantly, is called George, so you know his name. Um, And there's very little to kind of differentiate them from each other. It is very much a case of just creating the sense of what it must be like to be trapped on a beach with enemies encroaching and everything being kind of hopeless until at the last minute there's suddenly this kind of miraculous reprieve. Um, and I thought that was I, I have my problems with some of Christopher Nolan's work but I thought that that one was was a real case of him using his unprecedented freedom as someone who's made studios a huge amount of money to really push the envelope with with what he wants to do stylistically and structurally
1: yeah I and mean, it's interesting to, to actually just question why it's released at this uh time of year whereas mm. you know if you're potentially i don't know but could it potentially be seen as like an awards movie as well so not to be in the sort of the more christmas season as well so, so but yeah, yeah but g- it's it's very interesting to just to see right chris nolan you can do what you like and that he would do this and i i gather he is more of a history buff certainly than i am i'm not going to pretend i actually knew a, a great deal about uh, <laughs> dunkirk beyond its general concept as well so it was uh it was informative as well so
0: yeah and I guess on the smaller scaling, there were there were a bunch of like littler movies I really liked this year. I like Baby Driver, um, although that's one where I enjoyed it a lot in the while I was in the theatre, and oh no, the police are coming to get me for bad mouthing bad mouthing Baby Driver, but uh, uh, it was a movie that I I enjoyed in the theatre and thought you know that was that was really well made, really entertaining, and then sort of. I've not really thought about it much since then. So it, as opposed to most Edgar Wright movies, where their things I kind of chew over quite a lot, because even though they have that surface level of fun, they always have something kind of a little grittier that you can kind of, you know, that kind of gets stuck in your shoe or whatever, and you have to kind of mull over. Um, but that was that was like a in terms of just a pure adrenaline rush. It was it was one of my kind of favorite cinematic experiences of the summer. Oh.
1: I must admit, I didn't actually enjoy it that much in the theatres either. So I I, I guess I really wanted this, that fun, stylistic, you know, what we know Edgar Wright for. But I Mm -hmm. I just um, I thought it was uh, I I wasn't that impressed by the car chases, if I'm honest, which, you know, just on a very superficial level. But I was particularly unimpressed with Baby himself. Uh, I I don't know what... um, It was kind of oh he has to have his headphones in, but when he doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. And <laughs> there was just like there was just like nothing to his character there. So I, I don't know whether that was in terms of writing, directing, or in uh, in terms of performance. But I, maybe I was in the wrong mood. But I certainly thought I was up for a fun car chase movie. Turns out maybe yeah. I wasn't. <laughs> so, so but but again, like I am a big Edgar Wright fan, and I I think I stick up for The World's End as being one of my favorite of the Cornetto trilogy much more than oh, others do. So.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a great one. For for a variety of reasons. I think in in the case of the World's End it does really feel as if it's a uh, interrogation of nostalgia uh yeah. in a kind of a very pointed way and you know arguing for nostalgia as something very kind of toxic and ultimately destructive. Um which is why it's very funny that like people talk to Edgar Wright about like uh, he's he's talked about how people talk to him about hot fuzz and you know the idea of like local people and the the greater good and the kind of the, the little england mentality in the wake of brexit mm. and how the world's end ends with people just basically telling a large administrative organization to go fuck themselves <laughs> um Backload oh, their pro- rocket
1: ships and fuck off back to Legoland. I'm pretty
0: sure is the exact quote. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but in the process, kind of destroying themselves uh, or destroying their home as a result of it. And um, I think that that the, there is nothing really of that in Baby Driver. Like you could beyond its kind of surface pleasures, I really don't think there's a huge amount to that movie compared to the to the Cornetto trilogy or even to to Scott Pilgrim. Maybe in Um, two
1: years, Baby Driver will just be this massive political text that we just uh, were too dumb to pick up on at the time. But but, uh, we'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, When, I don't know, when Trump is, like, avoiding all the police whilst listening to Fox News or something. (laughs) We'd... i can't or the evita soundtrack I oh he is, it's
1: is jamie that. fox was that the reference there gotcha right okay very good <laughs> <laughs> so, all that right about... I, edgar wright i do apologize i was just clearly <laughs> too thick
0: <laughs> but other than that things like i i enjoyed the beguiled uh the uh sophia coppola remake slash re-adaptation of the the old movie from the 70s um which i thought had a great uh, trilogy of performance or, or quartet of performances from nicole kidman kirsten Dunst, l fanning and, and colin farrell who's uh routinely become one of a reason to see a movie for me over the last couple of years particularly in like starting with in bruges but ever since like that and going into stuff like the lobster he is someone who uh i am routinely excited to see what he'll do with a role and i thought he he did a really good job playing off of those three uh actresses in in that movie definitely
1: actually, i actually i enjoyed that i mean i was looking forward to it but i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought actually yeah, it mm. was just Uh, And I also found it, like, really darkly comic as well. And there were three of us in the cinema when I went to see it, and two of us kept laughing at very sort of sinister bits. And I think the third (laughs) person was like, what the hell are these sickos laughing at? (laughs) Also, uh, I mean, it's also interesting. I just feel that Nicole Kidman, um, when she appears in a film, she seems to have a really good choice in interesting indie Mm. films at the moment. I just, when when she appears in something, it's... um, it, it. she just seems to have a knack for picking projects that just have have a sort of an off-guard, uncanny kind of uh, aspect to them that I've been appreciating but also in this one I think the more that Colin Farrell's character becomes more, um, uh, without spoiling anything, uh, uh, the more he endures across the story <laughs> his hair just seems to get better and better considering he's this runt fled from the Civil War I thought that was uh, quite a feat in itself so maybe a subplot there that I uh, again, didn't quite pick up on but certainly appreciate it
0: <laughs> I could only assume that's one of the things they learn in kind of the seminary it's just like everyone's just really good at doing each other's hair and the so deleted lovely.
1: scenes were filled with the grooming of Colin Farrell I could, <laughs> I could see why that would be a four-hour <laughs> movie then yeah okay <laughs> so,
0: I think I don't know did you
1: get a chance to see colossal with Anne Hathaway? I haven't
0: had it a, I haven't had a chance to see it yet but I'm I'm interested in it because i've heard wildly different responses to it i know some people who absolutely adore it and some people who just like watched it and hated it and for me those are the most exciting movies
1: yeah i think i'm definitely in it i mean it's it's uh if at worst it might be an interesting not failure but uh uh, go for something and not quite hit its mark but i think Mm. it does and i think anne hathaway's sort of got a performance here that's closer to her rachel getting married performance than it is to Ah. uh some of her other work and I just think it goes to really interesting places but uses the giant monster genre to go to some unexpected twists so I won't spoil it for you or for any, anyone else but it's uh, it becomes very much about our sort of human frailties but I don't think it stops being entertaining it doesn't sort of become a preachy movie and there are just some really expertly considering it's a very low budget movie as well by all, by all counts, and uh, to have sort of pivotal moments uh, sort of hinge literally on a picture turning upside down at one point is uh, <laughs> is actually just quite clever considering you've got giant monsters stomping around mm. and then to have such a small moment be so key. I think it's a really interesting movie. But uh, yes, I definitely encountered people on the way out going, oh, that was rubbish, wasn't it? And I was just like, mm. no. <laughs> but, uh, then realised I was outvoted, so uh, quickly left. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I think uh, outspoken audiences who hate a movie are some of my favorites i remember going to see the white ribbon the michael haneke movie obviously this was some time ago uh back in 2009 i was sat uh in screen four of the showroom to be specifics uh, towards the back and there were two uh, older women kind of sat uh, at the end of the row from me and at the end of the movie which ends uh, in kind of enigmatic and menacing style um it ends after it ended I just one of them says, "What was the point of that?" <laughs> just like very very loudly. It made me it made me laugh because it was I was just like, "Oh, I love people who are that outspoken <laughs> and just like willing to say I did not care for that at all." I'm never
1: quite sure because I've definitely encountered a few of that. and Maybe we'll move on to a ghost story in a moment, which uh, I think, oh. uh, which uh, again, I enjoyed. But uh, I feel that sometimes people, I, I always want to think, which trailers did you watch? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I think my favorite experience of that was when we went to see the first Cloverfield movie. And then, um, mm. uh, and then just as we came out, I was going, kind of like, oh, I really enjoyed that. Really fun roller coaster. Saw it on opening day. And then uh, as we came out, this bloke sort of turns to us and goes, well, after all that hype, and it was just about a giant monster. <laughs> <That's just> like, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I feel they made that clear though. I don't know. So, so there's there's not liking a film for what uh, for how it achieves what it's trying to do, but I think sometimes sometimes people criticise a film for just not being a sandwich or something. I'm not
0: sure. <laughs> um, the other and that that's in terms of giant monster movies. Um, something that uh, I really enjoyed this summer, uh, which. Didn't get a cinematic release because it was uh, it debuted on Netflix, but did play in some theaters. So whatever. But uh, I really, really loved Bong Joon-ho's Okja. Yes, uh, I
1: think that's definitely one of my favorites of the year. I wasn't sure if we were going to be allowed to talk about that, but yes, I, that definitely had a mix of uh, endearing action adventure and 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 as well as uh, sort of ethical politics and there's mm-hmm. generally out and out comedy at places, as well as the horrible, horrible moments as well. Let's not forget. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, some stuff towards the end certainly there's like one scene with Jake Gyllenhaal's character that um I found incredibly distressing. <laughs> um and also uh yeah, just like the last sort of 10-15 minutes are those it's just very very hard to watch. Um but uh yes, a, like all Bong Joon-ho movies, uh, you know, it mixes a lot of disparate genres in a way that uh, could fail completely because he's trying to do satire and also tension and horror and genuine human interaction but also comedy um but somehow he always pulls it off and it was it was nice to see that even though oh I was gonna say no he has made uh Snowpiercer before hadn't he so he has made movies uh, in the English language before but I felt like this was altogether a kind of more cohesive movie than Snowpiercer which was a lot of fun but also kind of felt like he didn't quite have as as much of a grasp on all the elements um, that he was working with on that one uh, i've yet to, to actually track down
1: Snowpiercer, despite it seems a, a slightly more obtuse to get hold of one over here for its various uh woes of release but uh if you've not seen the host I w- uh anyone not not you ed obviously i would definitely <laughs> recommend it because it is a very very fun monster movie as, as well as uh Objet as well which i just think there, there is just such entertainment in these films as well as the satire there's he's not preaching to you he just has something to say and he's also just gonna have a bit of a lark and a laugh on the way as well so
0: yeah and it was very rare it's also nice to see paul dano in a role in which he wasn't entirely reprehensible yes that's a, kind a good funny. Of... Well, caleb
1: landry <laughs> jones has been taking over for him on that front this year mostly between uh twin peaks and get out so I, oh, yeah. yeah, Paul Dano was involved in the most benevolent uh, uh, carjacking scene in Ocean that I think. really enjoyed. <laughs> it. It's a, a scene of uh, people holding placards and smiling politely as they going We're going to take the car. We're not going to hurt you. Just be calm. It will be fine. <laughs> going, oh, I'd love to be
0: carjacked by them. <laughs> <laughs> Just feels so nice, so yeah. pleasant. Uh, do you have any other movies from the the summer that you know kind of really stand out for you? i
1: guess a ghost story definitely stood out so I, I will just mention that briefly i think um there is definitely an argument for hating it but i was not one of those people it could also it does feel like it's a short film that stretched out to 90 minutes uh with um sort of uh, moderate success in scene by scene but as its overall impact i would say it definitely left its mark on me to the point that i just think i really enjoyed it and would actually love to watch it again now so uh it's um if you, if you watch the trailer and think it looks like a weird cross between Beetlejuice and Lost in Translation, then maybe that's the right sort of pitch. If that appeals to you, then that, I would definitely recommend it. Otherwise, if that sounds like the worst film ever, it probably will be for you and also the person I was seeing it with. <laughs> so, so, but uh, yeah, definitely a divisive one. But I do think David Lowry is an incredibly interesting filmmaker with this and mm-hmm. Ain't Them Bodies Saints with his same cast as well, I think he's uh while he might not have a film that's going to break through the mainstream uh on, on that regard uh, so far i i definitely feel there will be one that might be sort of donnie darko kind of levels of uh of blending cult and actually just people watching it and going yes <laughs> at the end so yeah definitely enjoyed that
0: i think i think with him because he has this weird bifurcated career where he is doing low budget indie movies that kind of critics love and kind of more expensive disney movies. Critics also really like um cuz he did did pete's Dragon last year mm. uh, as well. Um it it seems to be a question of which one of the two will kind of break through first. Will he have kind of an indie movie that becomes a word of mouth success and and makes a lot of money or will he direct like a, a disney movie that becomes a juggernaut. Um yeah. I think he's got he's got Peter Pan lined up as his next kind of disney movie. So I think that probably has a decent chance. Although Hook, not Hook, um, Pan, just Pan, didn't do so well. So maybe there's not as much of an appetite for Peter Pan movies as as studios would think.
1: Well, that's, I, I didn't know he had that coming, actually. Yeah, but I was listening to an interview with him where uh, he was talking about that people regarded him as doing, oh, I'll do one for the studio and one for me. But he's like, no, I really put a lot of work into Pete's Dragon. It really meant a lot to me. So, so yeah, so it uh, is an enjoyable one as well, actually, that is... Definitely a a sort of big, fun Disney movie, but also definitely has tender elements to it that are just very him, I think, as well. So, yeah, definitely an interesting director that I'm enjoying, whatever he does.
0: And uh, the last movie I had was one I saw just yesterday, which was a movie called Good Time, which uh, is a movie by a couple of directors called The Safdie Brothers, who um, I was not familiar with, but they had previously directed a movie called Heaven Knows What, which a lot of people seem to really, really like. And it is a movie with a kind of brutally simple premise. Uh, Robert Pattinson plays a bank robber who robs a bank with his brother, and because this is a movie, the robbery doesn't go well. What? <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> so few movies about bank robberies that just go off without a hitch. Baby driver, I guess. Though <laughs> <laughs> um, Some of those robberies turn out okay. Um, but, um, yeah, so they rob, they rob a bank, it doesn't go well, then, then the whole movie is essentially a day in the life of uh, Robert Pattinson's character just kind of running around New York trying to get money together to get his brother out of jail because uh, he didn't get away as cleanly as he did and all the lengths that he goes to. It's been compared a lot to things like Scorsese's After Hours in, in that it's kind of a guy kind of running around on the fringes of, of New York and trying to just kind of get, trying to stay one headed, one step ahead of the people who are chasing him um, and and it does kind of have that feel to it, but it it's I think it's um, just more a little uh, scuzzier than than that movie is. You know, it it does have this kind of real worm's eye view of New York, which is is something you don't see that often. You know, it it does feel like the Safdie brothers have found a, a new way to shoot the most photographed city in the history of the world, um, which is which is yeah is 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 very. Uh, it's kind of a, a great achievement on their part and Robert Pattinson is fantastic in the lead you know i think i was reading on facebook the other day someone who had a theory about why he and Christian uh, stewart have gone on to be kind of wildly acclaimed actors uh in the years since twilight but how most people still think of them as those people who are really bad in twilight and their theory was that they're both actors who kind of force audiences to come to them they're very kind of understated and they're very intense and when you have a YA franchise that's built on people being very expressive about their emotions those aren't the right choices but for a movie like this where so much of it is Robert Pattinson's just kind of like selling very small shifts in his face in a, a, on his face of of what he's thinking and scheming in a certain moment it's it's absolutely perfect combination of actor and material so um that was a kind of a and, and it also is one of the most stressful movies I've seen in a long time. Oh, so right, okay. <laughs> if, if you're looking for an ad- adrenaline boost, then uh, Good Time is a good one to go for. Brilliant,
1: okay. Yeah, well, I, one of the films I missed this summer, though, was just on that front, was Kristen Stewart in Personal Shopper, which I'd heard mm. very good things about. Sounds like a nice enigmatic caper. So just on that front of Twilight stars doing something uh, that they wouldn't have been able to do without Twilight, but that definitely isn't Twilight. <laughs> so I think that should be a genre unto itself now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I, I have to wonder because whenever I because I sent a tweet about Kristen Stewart being really good in um the oh, what was it called the Clouds of Silmaria, which was oh, yeah, the last yeah. movie she, she did with um with Olivia Roseus, and my mentions were a mess for like five days because <laughs> like all of these people who were just kind of like real big uh, Kristen Stewart fans from her time in Twilight, Twilight was saying, like, yes, she's so good in it. And I was like, is there, like, a huge contingent of Twilight fans who have since become fans of arthouse cinema? Because that'd be fantastic if that was the the end result of Twilight, is that all of these people had followed them to their incredibly strange work since. I, uh, well, I reckon if we go
1: back, there'll be somebody, uh, some actor from some 80s movie that will have caught us into uh, sort of into new genres and new horizons. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think who that would be. I'm just... Try to think of like, going, hey, I like that guy from the mask. <laughs> What's uh, uh, oh, this cable guy's a bit weird. And then gradually we just go go down down the road to the number twenty three with Joel Schumacher. This is the worst example. I don't know what I'm <laughs> thinking of. Jim Carrey in particular. Uh, I, I mean,
0: that is that is uh, that is actually a pretty good one in terms of like, because I I definitely wouldn't have seen. I don't know about definitely, but I I may not have gone to watch Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That would have been the better example for me to use. <laughs> but <laughs> the film I, I actually would,
1: like, for example.
0: <laughs> uh, but I, I wouldn't have gone to see that um like as soon as it came out if at the age of eight I hadn't gone to see the mask twelve times in the cinema. So you know, sometimes it kind of it works out. Yeah, By the definitely. way, my dad is my dad is a saint for having taken me to see The Mask twelve times in the cinema. God bless him. I made him sit through some terrible, terrible movies that and the first pokemon movie though he didn't take that one with as good grace as he did the mask he, <laughs> i was gonna say yeah very... uh, the, the the mask uh, is is definitely the
1: uh, the uh when it comes to sort of giant faced uh kind of characters i think uh i think the mask <laughs> definitely is is worth a, a repeat watch but yes uh, definitely okay. salute to ed's dad
0: <laughs> happy anniversary <Mom> and dad <laughs> well, in <laughs> like in like two weeks time um the, so, what we're going to do uh, for this episode, as we did with the preview at the start of the year, we're going to go through the months of the year from now until December, talking about movies that uh, you and I have kind of picked as ones that we're interested in. Uh, if we don't mention a movie, it's because either it doesn't interest us or we just missed it. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely one of those two. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a lot of movies, and it's kind of hard to keep track of some of them, especially because also you have the extra problem that maybe Netflix are going to drop a movie in a month and they've not told anyone about it. Maybe Mute is going to come out tomorrow. Um, probably won't oh i hope not because that would be real um dereliction of duty on, the part, on their part if the new duncan jones movie was just dumped but you know there's uh it, there's so many avenues now that it's really hard to keep track of when exactly movies are coming out so uh, i've tried to be as thorough as possible okay so the first one i have for september is a movie that is allegedly is coming out in a few weeks time uh, which is called tulip fever and the reason i say allegedly is because the movie is being put out by the Weinstein company and the release of it has been botched so badly in terms of pushing it back over and over again in terms of cancelling press screens at the last minute that people have started to doubt if it actually exists and is a real movie (laughs) Um, well so they should uh, really
1: advertise it as from the producers of Snowpiercer then
0: (laughs) yes yeah and the, the weird thing is that it's not even like this is some kind of or tourist masterpiece that they can just butcher in the way they did Snowpiercer or uh, The Grandmaster. It is it, just like straight up Oscobate about old Danish people with like people like Dane mm-hmm. de Haan and Christoph Waltz and Alicia Vikander. So it has all of these people who you think and <laughs> Zach Galifianakis, which is the other thing that makes it seem like it's not a real movie. Like I know he's been in a Best Picture winner, but like it's very weird when and Zach Galifianakis appears in the trailer and you're like, mm, is this. A lost trailer from Tropic Thunder. I think it is. <laughs> but it's a movie that um I'm just I'm just fascinated by how badly is is kind of been handled and when it comes out, whether or not it will be even remotely as interesting as its release pattern seems to have been.
1: I'll <laughs> say you think this is actually a viral marketing campaign as they could juggle it and hide its existence from the world. So you're just playing digital treasure hunt in the meantime.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll become just kind of this myth people will be like oh yeah i got to see a copy i got to see tulip fever it's like no you didn't that's a lie it's like no no my dad got a copy tulip
1: uh, um, fever will probably would will turn out to be the next one in the cloverfield franchise anyway if <laughs> there's some sort of cryptic uh, <laughs> oh. pulling it all together it's like uh, ah,
0: <laughs> the danish they were behind it all <laughs> If that's what it would be, I would love it so much because that one's, the third one of those has been delayed until next year and it'd be great if it turned, it's like, no it wasn't (laughs) it was Tulip Fever all along (laughs) Ah, damn you J.J. Abrams (laughs) Bless you, J.J.
1: Abrams On a similar front front, the sort of movie of just suddenly appearing into my knowledge base was when the uh, trailer for um, Darren Aronofsky's mother first appeared (laughs) and it's exclamation mark firmly placed at the end there so with Jennifer Lawrence, I'm, even having seen the little teaser, I'm not sure I necessarily know what it's about, other than it being a sort of Black Swan-ish uh, psychological mm. thriller by the looks of it. Uh, maybe, I don't know if you know anything more, but I just know I'm intrigued by it.
0: Uh, no, I am I know about the same as you, For based on the trailer. It does have that same, like, like Black Swan, it has that kind of vaguely Polanski-esque feel to it, you know, very intense uh very claustrophobic actually far more than claustrophobic because it at least Mm. a black swan had scenes set outside (laughs) had scenes out on the street whereas the trailer for this i don't think has any it's all just uh javier bardem and jennifer lawrence and then a gradually growing cast of people um in a
1: house frantic frantic montage at the end just to finish it off yeah no It, it just looks i think i think i trust oh i i i know black swan's proved more divisive than i realized over the years but I, I, it's definitely probably one of my favorite of his films i just love mm. that sort of intense uh character focused thriller aspect to it so if this is anything like that then I, I this may well be one of my films of the year i should hope and think
0: yeah i'm i've got very high hopes for it i really liked black swan i didn't see noah so this is the first uh aronofsky film i've seen in sort of seven years but i i really really dug black swan i thought that it was it was really really great and this looks to be of a similar pitch. <laughs> it has to be said. Um Yay. my next one is It by directed by Andre Muschetti, who uh previously directed the movie Mama, which I didn't see the feature film version of, but I did see the short version of at and at Celluloid Screams a couple of years back well, ten years ago. Um and it was terrifying it was one of the most terrifying five minutes of my life watching mama in a in a movie screen and um from what i've seen of the trailer it looks also very very terrifying and the handful of reviews that have kind of come out so far have been very very positive and as a fan of the book and as someone who uh thinks that there is a lot of great a lot of potential for really great movies to be made from stephen king's books uh i'm very very excited for it
1: now likewise i think this it just looks like it's doing the business. And then the fact that it split the book in terms of its two timeframes in half just looks uh, really good to so that, presumably for a potential sequel. But mm. uh, uh, I just love the uh, aspect of it. It feels like it's managing to do play into our sort of eighties nostalgia with the, uh, with the original mini series with Tim Curry and of course the book itself. But uh, so in that same sort of stranger things vibe, that's managed to catch on to everything uh, and sort of consume everything else. However, if you're going to moan about remakes, I don't think anyone really gets to moan about remaking the original '80s miniseries, do they? So, mm. Tim Curry aside, the uh, spider-kicking finale is not that spectacular, <laughs> is it? So, yeah. Um, so I think I'm, I'm very excited to see how this can actually, uh, without you know, replacing the miniseries, this certainly be a, a fresh new take on it. I mean, even just the design of Pennywise the clown, this looks a very, very different and intense vision
0: yeah I'm, I'm i'm very much excited for it although i'm not excited for the vr experience that they've been touting as oh, kind of, uh I, I believe as a um promotional thing at some kind of film festival or something it was like you get to go on a bus wearing a vr headset and pennywise will come out and scare you and as soon as i read that i, thought, I was like no Never. That is something I would never, ever experience willingly. That is a frightening enough, thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's also
1: released on my wedding anniversary, oh. so I like to think that's the perfect date movie as well. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Uh, okay, what's your next one?
1: Um, I guess actually it's just following on from the uh, 80s uh, remake thing. I'm actually quite intrigued by the Flatliners movie that's mm. coming up. Uh, I think it's it's, again, if you're going to remake something... I have a lot of fondness for the Flat Niners movie in terms of its concept, uh, but I never felt it really sort of did its potential to the fullest. So the fact that this is sort of a reboot and a sequel because uh, Keeper Sutherland is returning, presumably as his original character. Mm. And we've got Ellen Page in the lead, which I always think is worth a watch. And it's from director who uh, did the original um girl with the dragon tattoo movie and has done episodes of mr robot so i think there could be something interesting there. it's definitely an idea that i think is worth revisiting and it's it doesn't feel like it's desecrating some classic so much as i'd say the original flatliners for me was what we call five star three star hokum <laughs> so just, and, I, and, and even if this is simply that again more of the same then that's just a good night at the cinema as far as i'm concerned so i'm definitely quite intrigued by that so fingers crossed
0: yeah it's the same here like i i think i've seen flatliners like two or three times it's one of those sort of movies that if it happened to be on tv late tonight i was like yeah sure i'll watch flatliners it's fun but it isn't something that i kind of feel is sacrosanct it's not something like where you say oh no you couldn't possibly touch flatliners this is yeah. this is beyond reproach. Uh, it, My fifth favorite Kevin Bacon movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely something that is there's like a kernel of a really interesting idea there, and I think that based on the trailer, it looks like you know they've they've done it uh, an interesting take on it. It certainly, I hope they really kind of uh, turn into the kind of the, sur- the surrealness of it with the idea of the worlds of the the living and the dead kind of bleeding through to each other there, there's bits of that like someone swimming and they see the word murderer written on the bottom of a pool and things like that i think if if they can get really uh, out there with that uh, it could be really really interesting uh, given the advances in technology since the the late 1980s uh, and like you said ellen page great actress uh, wish she was headlining more big movies so uh,
1: yeah uh, that's my main thing of like go and support ellen page so that yeah. she becomes uh is in all, all of the movies again because that was yeah. good <laughs> so.
0: yeah i was just wondering if there's anyone who would be really really angry about them remaking flatlines, if there's some like r slash oliver platt part of reddit who are just like no you can't touch our hero's work
1: well, I I was going to say that if you were going to bring a character back, it should be Oliver Platt's character, yeah. who was the one character of the main cast who never died and got resuscitated in the original film. So <laughs> just if the teaser trailer had ended as with Oliver Platt opening the door and racking a shotgun and going, It's my turn! <laughs> then I think uh, that would have been perfect. But I haven't seen the movie yet, for all I know. That <laughs> could be that.
0: Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to put your best thing in the trailer. The thing that everyone will be talking about the next day at the water cooler. Um, no in
1: fact yeah that's probably the post-credits sequence isn't it as we're <laughs> going to bring back uh one of the original cast line by line whichever baldwin it was all of them racking a shotgun <laughs> and then say no this is just the beginning fate of black
0: <laughs> uh the, the five star F- three star hokum <laughs> yeah the fcu is going to be really really <laughs> vast okay the next one i have uh is a movie called brad's status which i'm more interested in for the people behind the camera um it's uh, the new movie from Mike White, who previously uh, created the HBO show *Enlightened* with Laura Dern, very much the beginning of the Laura Dernissance that we're currently living through now. Um, he also co-wrote *co-wrote* uh, the Emoji movie, so he's got a he's got a checkered past. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he he also wrote a movie from earlier this year called uh, *Beatrix at Dinner*, which I think got a lot of really good responses uh, of a kind of star term for sam hayek in that so you know he's he he could be batting at least uh, 66 with this one and basically it's it's kind of a entry into a subgenre which i think can be considered as like sad ben stiller because he seems to have uh, at a certain point decided that his uh, mode is going to be kind of middle-aged men who are doubting where they are in their life usually with no barn back um in this in this case he plays a guy who is um his his son is about to go to college i think he's about to get in he's, he's applying to harvard and he looks around at his uh, his friends from from school who include people like uh, michael sheen and uh jermaine clement both of whom are being forced to hide their brilliant accents which I, I i have to take exception to um there's no reason that someone from new zealand couldn't have been friends with ben stiller 20 years ago but anyway <laughs>
1: um Again, something to be explored in a sequel, perhaps, as to why Ben Stiller was so very, very racist. <laughs> uh,
0: but but it's basically a, one of those movies about a guy who's like, oh, he's wondering if where he is in his life is where he wants to be. And based on the trailer, it looks like it could be a little bit generic in that respect, but Mike White is someone who, emoji music aside, is someone who has generally proven to be like a very kind of sharp person that's piercing those kind of pretensions. So uh, I would hope that he bring something new to that uh and also the trailer hooked me in by using the song home by lcd sound system which is one of my all-time favorite songs so as soon as that came in i was like oh movie you're you're hitting you're hitting my heart you're gonna have to (laughs) maybe watch this
1: targeting you specifically with pinpoint accuracy (laughs) no need for a vr experience this time (laughs) get your clowns off the bus um I guess so. I guess my final movie uh, for uh, September is Goodbye Christopher Robin, mm. which um, I only actually watched the trailer for this morning. But uh, I actually did think looks lovely. I'm a big fan of these sorts of stories, like Finding Neverland and Saving Mr. Banks, that are both sort of to somewhat uh, somewhat uh, wrecked me <laughs> as I watched them, and just very very much allowed different performances. So here we've got Donald Gleason as A on a- a- Milne um, creating the Winnie the Pooh. Uh, stories for his son and it just looks as he's the, the second trailer is somewhat darker as he's very shell-shocked and from his experiences at war and it almost feels like it's a he needs to survive by writing uh the Winnie the Pooh story so I think it I wouldn't necessarily have thought this would have gripped me so hard but actually just watching the trailer I'm even having flashbacks violently to the trailer now <laughs> it just looks like it could be a really interesting drama as well as just about a sort of a Children's series that we just kind of all, I don't know, maybe I feel like I might have taken for granted over the years now, but remembering that, but didn't you have a cuddly Winnie the Pooh, John? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. And I did take it anywhere, everywhere. So, <laughs> so yeah, so. Yeah. And, and obviously, uh, Pooh's memeable qualities these days, as he discusses the American <laughs> politics with Piglet, is uh, <laughs> uh, something I assume will be uh, explored further too. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that one as well. I'm I'm a big fan of Finding Neverland. I even went to see the merely okay musical um, a few weeks back, a few months back, when it played in town. Three star, three star, hokum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's with with a book by Gary Barlow. There's only so good it can be, um, but. <laughs> uh it is is you know that's that's a that's a wonderful very sweet story I like even though I'm kind of down on biopics in general anyone that's about someone creating a specific work and and examining the artistic process and and what that work could possibly mean have meant to them personally is just something I'm really down for in general so uh yes I am I'm looking forward to seeing how that works especially as someone who used to watch like the Disney Winnie the Pooh stuff all the time when I was when I was a kid and uh, where those characters imprinted on me at a very young age um the only other kind of major one i have for uh, september uh is kingsman the golden circle um i wasn't a massive fan of the first kingsman i think there's something about matthew vaughan where he just kind of i don't know just kind of something quite smug about his filmmaking and i find it really off-putting but uh the trailer for this one does look fun to me i do like the addition of people like channing tatum and pedro pascal uh, and, and Jeff Bridges, you know, these are all actors that I really like. I like the idea of them changing the settings to they have to go to America to do things. That sounds really fun to me. Uh, and, you know, they are... I, I, I bet, at the very least, I hope it's, like, just a really kind of kinetic, fun action movie, and that seems to be what it's promising from the trailer, and that hopefully some of the kind of, like, weird sexual attitudes that kind of crept up in the first one are kind of tamped down a little bit, but... Uh, we'll have to see
1: Yeah, so not, not a huge fan of it I was, Yeah there's, uh, But, uh, but I, I have actually uh, While well, I've seen that film once and don't think I'll bother Again, I have repeatedly watched The Colin Firth kills lots of people At a church sequence mm-hmm. on YouTube about 90 times So, uh, so uh, The important thing to remember here is my hypocrisy <laughs> so so, uh, on top of that actually just for september i'm hoping we are getting a re-release of close encounters of the third kind as well that was the one other thing i wanted to mention that is probably one of the spielberg films i've never seen on the big screen and would very much like to so very Mm. excited for that if it makes it this way
0: yeah yeah same here that's a a, that feels like a movie that every time i've seen it i've appreciated it more but i still feel like there's like a whole reservoir of of experience to be had from seeing it on the biggest screen possible Yeah. yeah definitely uh, okay so, so are we into October we are into October uh, do you want to start us off
1: uh, yes, with the uh, Dean Devlin inevitable classic *Geo Storm*, because you said we were going to be mentioning that as we go towards awards system, <laughs> awards season rather. Um, I only wanted to mention this because it was so heavily marketed on the internet about five months ago. The new Gerard Butler action thriller *Geo Storm*, and then I just love the fact that there's not been a mention of it since. So I just yeah. was kind of curious as to what the marketing campaign that blitzed the internet for a weekend seemed to be. It just seemed to be on the in. Front of every YouTube video and in every banner ad, and it's just now vanished. So it started and stopped its marketing. And I hope it's uh, as good as Jared Butler's Hugo Boss ad. But that's all
0: I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that is really weird because I remember when people first started talking about Geostorm, I thought, oh, this must be a movie that's just about to come out. And then <laughs> yes. I've seen the odd trailer for it between movies for the last four months. And I was like, when is this movie coming out? Why is anyone making this this movie? Um, Morbid yeah. curiosity
1: uh, for me wanting to watch it is probably the same thing as what to why it's been made, isn't it? Like, what would happen if I made this movie? And uh, just unfortunately, I I have enjoyed Gerard Butler's work in the past, but <laughs> like his Hugo Boss advert. Every time I see him in something now, I always start off assuming it's a parody, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then go, "Oh, oh, right, you, oh right, okay, you meant that. <laughs> you really do act like a businessman who's a shark, who's a tiger, or something <laughs> like that when you're when you're smelling of a particular fragrance." <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, October's not necessarily the strongest month for me. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. I mean,
0: there's one, there's one movie that I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're uh, at least interested in, uh, which is Blade Runner twenty forty nine.
1: What's that now? Play... <laughs> no, yes, yes, indeed. I, I I figured that would be on your list as well. Though. But yes, the the two thousand and
0: forty installment in the Blade <laughs> Runner franchise. Uh, no, I'm I'm very excited for it. Um, I really I I I like the first Blade Runner a lot. Um, I think it's a kind of a great uh, example of world building. One of the most visually arresting science fiction movies that ever that's ever made. I like the fact that it's also a kind of pretty decent noir in its own right in terms of the the detective stuff and what's exciting me about this is that ridley scott isn't directing it because <laughs> um he's not had the best track record at returning to his his older his older work but it is being directed by Denis villeneuve who um directed Arrival which was a movie that destroyed me last year uh and was the first movie of his that I had really kind of connected to so I'm hoping he's going to go kind of he's we're going to have a streak at least of two movies because I really do think from the trailers that this looks like a a kind of a visually arresting movie the only the only issue I have is that Jared Leto's in it and I find him to be a very uh mixed presence on screen someone who can be very good and sometimes can be the Joker um <laughs> Incidentally, do you have a script for a Joker movie on hand? Because I really think now is the time to sell it. Now that well, there's, of course I do. <laughs> now, now that there's three of them, all in five of them are currently
1: circulating.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So really, it's it's this is kind of like the gold rush of Joker scripts. It seems everyone's going to get in on it. Um, Sadly,
1: how how however many I keep writing, Jared Leto keeps attaching himself to all of this. Oh. So kind of, yeah, that's the problem. I I, I'm definitely intrigued by this. I must admit, when it was first happening. Uh, before I'd seen Arrival, I was less excited and definitely uh, Arrival yeah, definitely just the top movie from last year Mm -hmm. I I think it's it's very interesting just how, I'm pretty sure, was Harrison Ford a bit younger than Ryan Gosling when he was in the original now and it's just amazing just how sort of uh unhaggard ryan gosling looks as a kind of uh, if he is a blade runner as we're led to suspect it's just uh it's um especially in this sort of uh, you know what should be quite a harrowing uh you know metropolis to live in it's just mm. he's just wandering around you know just dancing with emma stone and this, it's just uh, but i definitely think what i like from the trailers is the world building that's there it's taken where Uh, the first Blade Runner was and pushed it forward rather Mm. than I'm sure there will be nods and references or just at least a lineage for it but it just looks like it's gone forward I just haven't really got a lot of time for revisiting franchises that just do the same thing again so this at least looks like it's not that I have to worry that Harrison Ford is just simply revisiting all his old franchises just so he can kill himself off in all of them, but uh, (laughs) we'll we'll see. (laughs) I Uh, I gather the bookies are taking no more bets on that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: we we only really need to worry when he does, like, regarding Henry 2. It's just kind of like, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here, Harrison. Um, I just like the fact that he apparently seems to have, his costume appears to be whatever he showed up on set wearing that day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Sorry, I was just at the gym.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this over. I need to crash into the plane. Laundry day in the metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, but there's every reason. I mean, it's it's it does feel like we, it'd be very easy for us. This partly because it's quite fun to <laughs> be cynical about all of the revisits to franchises and sequels and so forth. But there's just actually no reason why this couldn't be an incredibly thought provoking or the sort of stylistic. Um, Uh, science fiction movie which I think we're you know dying dying for really as well I Mm. mean Arrival is a fantastic human story but uh, and its design is amazing but it's very much set in the here and now whereas actually looking forward to the future to see what it says about now is always a great form of science fiction as well for me
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next one I have is a, a much smaller movie, it has to be said. It's a movie called The Florida Project, which is the second movie, I believe, or or at least the, the follow up to the movie Tangerine, which was by uh, Sean Baker. And uh, I've seen the trailer a few times now, and it just looks like a very winning movie about childhood. It's essentially about life in a motel in orlando florida so obviously um, i'm interested in it obviously purely for through proximity uh but yeah,
1: every, uh, marketing campaigns just really need to just follow the edwin davis biopic uh, <laughs> sort of details to get your attention okay um, sorted but, bear but, that in mind for my joker movie <laughs> uh
0: but it also it's got william defoe is kind of like the guy who runs the motel and he has kind of a a paternal uh relationship towards like this uh girl who's got these these kind of young uh, this young daughter and these young kids who live in the motel who kind of go around doing whatever the hell they want pretty much and just based on the trailer it just has this really kind of sense of life to it it reminds me a little bit of something like beasts of the southern wild but a little less uh at a little obviously a little less fantastical because there's no as far as we know there's no giant pig monsters in it um <laughs> uh but but you know it has um it has that same kind of quality of just kind of reveling in the experience of being young and existing sort of on the fringes of of a society and uh it makes Orlando look kind of magical which uh it doesn't <laughs> in reality um Orlando's like a it's a lovely place i really enjoy living here but it is not the most aesthetically pleasing city it is a lot of urban sprawl so uh i'm really interested to see what someone who made kind of la made a movie that made la look different can do to a place that really doesn't get photographed much except in like disneyland promos and uh, uh news reports you know i think there's a there's a lot to be done with the city uh, I, i'm really interested to see what he does with it
1: oh, fantastic i think um well
0: yeah again
1: on the seeing looking forward to seeing what people might do with it i am morbidly curious again about uh this the, the jigsaw movie the latest mm. in the saw franchise it, it has been a really good year for horror i will say starting with get out and then going yeah. uh, through to things like they come at night so now you've got these sort of the big beasts of uh sort of the recent franchises sort of rebooting themselves i'm curious to see if there is going to be something there that whether it just follows into the sort of the torture porn sort of cliches uh in terms of Uh, their stories and our audience responses to it but also Mm. are they actually going to add anything to it because I still have a lot of time for the original Saw movie and maybe even the second one as well so just in terms of that horror franchise and especially if Tobin Bell is still going to be (laughs) somehow knocking around in it despite having died 97 films ago in the franchise. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I just find it so strange to think that we're seven years out from the last Saw movie (laughs) because for a time they were like marks of the changing, <laughs> yeah um for a time they were like the leaves falling off the trees it was it was really like a seasonal marker that you're about to hit autumn was that there'd be ads for saw movies upon buses all over the place yeah, a limb
1: uh, just, tri- uh, just vaguely displayed in the shape of a number, basically. It seemed to be the uh...
0: yeah. Just every every major city would suddenly be blanketed with horrifying imagery. <laughs> you mean like, hey, come see our movie? Um, yeah. So oh, summer's
1: over, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: yeah. So I just, uh, it's just so strange to me that we're at the point now where the Saw franchise is. Um, has been around long enough, but also has been inactive long enough <laughs> that they can yeah. revive it, that it, it's been inactive longer than it was active at this point, which is, is, is it's just really weird to me. Good lord, I have not even. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, your turn now, but I think uh, I
1: reckon I know a film that you might be looking forward to.
0: Okay, <laughs> okay, we'll see. Uh, okay, the one that I have, this is kind of similar to your Geostorm one, uh, it is a movie called The Foreigner. Which is directed Nailed by no, no, no. <laughs> go, go on. Uh, directed by Martin Campbell who directed like the Golden Eye and the uh, and Casino Royale which is uh, of note because and also the uh, the Zorro movies uh, people forget that he directed those and particularly the first one which is a lot of fun um, but he uh, is is of note that he directed Golden Eye because it's a movie with Pierce Brosnan but it's also Pierce Brosnan fighting against Jackie Chan in their own kind of team up of a Taken style movie of older action movies. Uh, movie stars kind of doing battle and I'm just interested because I like Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan. Uh, I have no greater interest beso- other than liking them and really wanting to see what it looks like when they fight. I don't imagine that Pierce Brosnan comes off too well in a real fight between the two of them but... Um, <laughs> I, well, I, he'll I, be I...
1: taking care of the action while Jackie Chan will be doing the one-liners. That's, uh, exactly. Those are the rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, I'm, I'm excited to... I just think it'd be fun to see it and I think Martin Campbell is someone who can do action very very well so uh hopefully at the very least you get something that's just kind of like a really fun uh exciting action movie uh and and sometimes like when you're in the middle of award season and everything's super serious that's something you just want to see uh,
1: that that is actually one i was looking forward to as well but not wasn't the one i was going to guess but yeah okay. i think uh martin campbell has directed uh two of my favorite bond films which is uh no no small fleet. And it's always interesting actually seeing what Piers Brosnan's been up to since Bond mm. as well, because I think he's been doing some very interesting roles, uh, things like the Matador or uh, uh, I think Thomas Crown Affair was alongside them, wasn't it? But I think yeah. he is. it's great when you, when you are so universally known for a role and then just seeing what you do beyond that, I just think is always a lot of fun. And he just seems lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes a long way, but... I thought you might mention uh, uh, the Thor Ragnarok movie, uh, I, I, Is that something you're looking forward to this October?
0: I, I am very much looking forward to it. I think uh, I just have a, a question for you about it. It's like, how excited are you about it now? And how excited were about it were you prior to seeing the first trailer? Because for me, there was a marked difference between the two. <laughs> um, I was, you, you
1: make a fine point.
0: Because <laughs> prior to it, I was like, a third Thor movie? I mean, sure, Taika Waititi is good, but like, how much can you do with that? The second one was such a slog. And then the, fir- the first trailer came out, it's like, I want to see this movie more than almost anything. <laughs> it looks <laughs> so fun. It looks like such a kind of wonderful, uh, colourful, bizarre space opera. And um, I just love, I've loved every movie I've seen of Taika Waititi's, uh, I think he's he's a hugely funny filmmaker i'm excited to see what he does with a big budget and he's just assembled like the most amazing cast uh i'm I'm just i'm just super excited for it
1: yeah i think so too i think uh, it wasn't one i mean i i have really enjoyed how thor uh particularly in the avengers movies has essentially been the comic relief largely Mm. because he's just big enough and strong enough to get smacked around by the hulk for for laughs (laughs) so i think uh, that's always grand but yeah but this does look like something very different and maybe in a way that uh, for me, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two was not one of my favourite films of the year, shall mm. we say? But uh, but I feel like this could actually nail the uh, the funny, colourful Marvel movie spot that I wanted it to tickle. So I think uh, Kate Blanchett and Jeff Goldblum in any film together is always something I'm going to be looking forward to. But this one in particular seems to be putting them sort of outside of their normal oeuvre as well. So yeah, uh, and so and very and I... much fingers crossed it's as funny as the trailer, um, but also. That there's a, it, it just looks like there's a lot of ideas, and even in the more frantic montagey bits, uh, and even just in the bits of Thor and Bruce Banner sitting talking to each other, mm. that just looks, that just looks like that those will be the uh, the buddy movie high points for me.
0: Yeah, and I do between this and and um, Black Panther, it does feel as if maybe hopefully we're getting into a space where Marvel are allowing filmmakers a little more leeway in what they want to do stylistically because. I feel like with the, the phase two movies that became problem, there was a certain sameness to them and you didn't really get a, a huge amount of difference between them in, stone or t- in tone or style. Like The the exception being something like Ant-Man, where the stakes were so low that they seemed to be happy to let it be a little bit different. Although not too different, which is obviously why Edgar Wright was fired. Um, but I, I really like the look of this. I like the look of Black Panther. I really hope that they at least allow them a little more room to kind of play within kind of the the marvel sandbox than they have allowed them to for for a while at least
1: absolutely yeah and as we're getting tantalizing glimpses of infinity war and beyond i mean but even just the concept of doctor strange being at which i really enjoyed i, I agree that it couldn't be too different in terms of its origin story but i mm. felt there was some real um real real fun in the actual exploration of the the whole world of the marvel universe there and uh, if anything, it was actually just the Doctor Strange himself was the least interesting part of it. So, uh, yeah. But then by, the, by his end credit sequence with Thor, then uh, I felt that, ah, he's actually someone who's a lot more balanced rather than the arrogant uh, sort of successful person who gets taught a lesson kind of thing, which uh, we may have already seen a, half a dozen times in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Yeah, so very much fingers crossed for Thor Ragnarok.
0: Uh, the next one I have for October is a movie called The Killing of the Sacred Deer, which is the new movie from Yorgos Lanthirmoth, who is the uh, Greek director of Dog's Tooth and more recently The Lobster. And uh, we mentioned it earlier, Colin Farrell's in it. We mentioned her earlier, Nicole Kidman's in it. And also the kid who played George in Dunkirk is in it as well. So this is bringing all the threads together of this episode.
1: Uh, uh, the, this, the universe is finally aligning with the Samuel <laughs> L. Jackson. We'll just be walking out of shot in the opening scene. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but, but I've seen the trailer for this a couple of times now. I saw it before Good Time yesterday. Uh, and it was a very, it's a very disturbing trailer. Nothing bad happens in it, but it just has that distanced tone that yorgos Lanthimos has uh to all of his work where he just kind of like presents people saying or doing kind of terrible or ridiculous things and kind of makes you try and pass it and in trailer form that results to like lots of obtuse dialogue or images of kind of people crawling downstairs where you're like why is this happening this is so strange oh. um but from what i can pass of the of the uh plot uh it seems to be that colin farrell is a surgeon who may or may not have been responsible for the death of the father of the lad who played George whose name I will at one point look up and learn but for me he's just George um and then it becomes kind of a revenge movie and I like revenge movies a lot I like Yorgos Lanthimos a lot I like that entire cast and uh everything about this suggests that it's going to be a very intense and uncomfortable watch in the way that all of Yorgos Lanthimos's work is
1: fantastic yeah no Massive fan of his work so far, so definitely interested to see what's next. And obviously, as we say, Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell seem to have some very interesting choices whenever yep. they uh, sort of cast themselves in a film. That's not how casting works, obviously, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so, um, it's my final uh, pick for October, it is again another re release actually of um, Perfect Blue, which is my favorite Ooh. manga movie. So it's its 20th anniversary. I've never seen it at the cinema again either. But um, I always I was always intrigued uh, 20 years ago by the tagline of, it's like if Disney hired James Cameron to direct a Hitchcock movie. <laughs> and I would say that is actually the best summary of a film ever, as a, uh, a singing say, sensation tries to quit for a legitimate, gritty acting career and basically has a bit of a sort of Black Swan-esque uh, mental mm-hmm. breakdown. So again, that's a genre that very much appeals to me. And I think they absolutely nail so to an extent, despite all the psychological stuff, it's not your average manga movie in terms of monsters and uh, and so on or, or sort of uh, dystopian sort of science fiction. It's very much a uh, sort of psychological thriller, but it definitely takes advantage of animation to do it. And I just think it's, uh, it's a really, really striking tonal uh, sort of oddity amid uh, most manga off chance. So if you've never seen it or if you've never seen it on the big screen, uh, I definitely recommend that.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic movie. I really... I love all of uh, Satoshi Kon's movies. Unfortunately, he died fairly young, so he only made four. I think and that was the first and yeah, they're all they're all amazing. That one is uh particularly for anyone who's seen Requiem for a Dream or or Black Swan. Uh, Darren Aronofsky likes that guy's work. <laughs> he is yeah <laughs> he is i think he actually owns the remake rights of it purely so that he could use a sh- he could recreate shots of it in in requiem for a dream so uh very influential movie but uh, yeah like you say a a very intense thriller in a genre that is uh or a a medium that is usually associated with kind of more outlandish stuff uh in a in a great way you know there's lots of great anime out there but um yeah the, those movies always uh, stuck out to me um mm. The last one i have for october is a movie that um i've been looking forward to for probably about 10 years at this point and it seems weird that it's finally coming out it's called suburbicon which is the latest movie by george clooney and the reason i'm looking forward to it is less because george clooney because as a director he is more missed than hit for me like i really like the first two movies he did confessions of a dangerous mind and goodbye and good luck and everything else since then has kind of been bad to mediocre but uh, i'm really excited for this one because it's based on a coen brothers script it was a movie that they've been working on a script they've been working on for for a really long time i think i remember first reading about it around the time that no country for old men came out and i thought ooh, a new coen brothers movie and every time i've gone on imdb and seen that that's listed it's like ooh, (laughs) it's gonna come out at some point probably um (laughs) and it's a a movie set in the 1950s in a kind of Suburb called Suburbicon which is kind of like a planned city and Matt Damon plays a kind of normal white collar guy whose wife is murdered due to seemingly due to him being in hock to the mob or maybe him not being in hock to the mob and it's some sort of mistaken identity it's not clear currently from the trailer why she is killed but uh, these guys come after his kid he kills a guy and then things start to unravel as a result and uh, it's got I would say Matt Damon's in it uh, it's got uh, Julianne Moore in it, who, who obviously I, I love in everything. It's got Oscar Isaac, who's a, obviously a great actor playing uh, a heavy working for the mob. And the the tone of it feels very Coen-esque. You know, it's kind of got a funny sense of humour. And it looks more like a Coen Brothers movie than a George Clooney movie. So I'm hoping that uh, some of their kind of satiric chops kind of rub off on him. Because he's not someone who would be my first choice to, to kind of direct a big satirical piece but I, i'm hoping that the the strength of the script and the strength of the cast really carry it through because uh yeah i've been waiting 10 years to see what that movie looks like
1: Ah. <laughs> Oh, fingers crossed as well then yeah I, I, must that that was on my list but it's actually floating around because I couldn't find when it's release date was which is right. why I haven't mentioned that myself but yeah I was actually I was watching the trailer for it the other day and I did actually think it's sometimes as with Coen Brothers movies occasionally the trailers don't actually make me laugh at all because mm. they're so edited out of context and they go oh look it's a man on a small bike isn't that funny and you kind of yeah. go well oh, I suppose whereas I know that I'll just be crying for 12 minutes or something <laughs> come the actual theatre so it's like the trailer for the big laB is funny once you've seen the film. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know, so I th- think I was hoping this uh, felt would be this year's Hail Caesar. Hmm. Um, in yeah. that regard,
0: uh, okay. Let's move into November. Uh, why don't you start us off, John?
1: There's some obvious contenders for me here, but I, I kind of feel that the one I'm actually most intrigued by is actually Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut of hmm. Molly's Game, which also has uh, Jessica Chastain in it, who's pretty much one of my favourite actors at the moment. Yep. It's uh, the sort of true life story that I had no knowledge of until hearing the synopsis of this film, but of an Olympic skier who gets embroiled in poker and then uh, seized by the FBI and hijinks ensue. So <laughs> it's uh, it's got a cast with Idris Elba and Kevin Costner in it as well, presumably all spouting very Sorkin-esque dialogue, which mm. uh, I guess I'm just intrigued to see. I have no concept of what he might be as a sort of directorial kind of visionary or voice or anything, but I guess I'm interested to find out, so...
0: Yeah, I'm I'm much the same. I'm I tend to like his work when it's filtered through another director. Like I think that someone like David Fincher did wonders with the social network where they added that kind of visual pop to mm. his dialogue. Um, but you know, I'm I'm such a fan of his work generally going back to the West Wing and Sports Night that I'm always interested to see what he does and the trailer i mean obviously the the trailer is is edited together so maybe the movie doesn't have quite the same pop that the trailer does maybe it's a little more staid or whatever because of because of his ba- his background as a writer but uh, i'm really interested to see what he does as a visual stylist but also you know just it seems like a fantastic story and it seems like a good um a good outlet for him to kind of write really hugely entertaining dialogue so uh, I'm I'm excited to see how that one turns out. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I don't know if this is one that's even being aimed or intended as a sort of potential awards season-y kind of thing, but I definitely want to see Jessica, Jessica Chastain in uh, uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role at some point, and I imagine having an Aaron Sorkin-backed <laughs> thing might be that sort of stage, so yeah, definitely. It, What's, it, uh, oh, weirdly
0: reminds me, it weirdly reminds me of Miss Sloan, which was the movie she was in that came out last year, which was also a movie that seemed to be straddling the line between being kind of populist entertainment but also gunning for awards uh awards kind of contention, and ended yeah. up with neither <laughs> because hardly <laughs> anyone went to see it and it didn't get any awards um so hopefully this one fares a little bit better and, and i guess there's probably a lot less um, problems of the material being politically fraught than a, mo- a true to life story about uh, a woman being getting involved in kind of a crazy gambling den versus a someone lobbying to kind of out like, to create stricter gun laws, which may have been the thing that stopped it from quite taking off with the American public. Um, yeah,
1: I could see uh, <laughs> that. Wouldn't necessarily, uh, but mind you, uh, not that Aaron Sorkin's got any history whatsoever in sort of political opinion or uh, rhetoric. Mm,
0: not, not that I can think of. Was no, no. did did anyone talk about politics in malice? Maybe. Like Maybe <laughs> yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, and the social network was pretty <laughs> down the line. No, um, I
0: guess. Uh, okay. So the first one I have for November is uh, "Murder on the Orient Express," directed by Kenneth Branagh and starring him and his uh, ludicrous mustache as Hercule Poirot. Incredible mustache. <laughs> as Hercule Poirot and the world's greatest detective mustache
1: his... on the orient express that's <laughs> not, i'm um, hashtagging this one already
0: <laughs> i love i love uh the the story murder on the orient express it's one of those ones that it's very hard for someone to mess up i feel like it's just such a solid mystery and it's such a perfect vehicle for just getting haha <laughs> a perfect vehicle for <laughs> getting together like a huge cast of great actors of various levels of fame, but all generally pretty good. You know, you got your Willem Dafoe, your Judy Dench, your Daisy Ridley's, your uh, 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 Leslie Odom Juniors, and whatnot. Well, Josh Gad, I guess. You know, you get all these people in and and get them to act out. You know, this classic of English literature. It's probably gonna be pretty good. You know, I think there's it's very hard to mess up, and I do like Kenneth Branagh as a as a as a director. I really, obviously, his earlier Shakespeare stuff is is really really good and. Um, I was I was, I I really liked what he did with the first Thor movie. I thought his, yeah, his over reliance on Dutch angles was a bit much. There is almost no th- shot in that entire movie that is straight. Um it's it's uh but I think that he is someone who could bring a certain yeah, and his Cinderella is, is really great as well. It's a gorgeous movie. So um I think he's someone who could genuinely bring a a lot of flair to that, that movie and I just hope uh, that his performance because i think what it ultimately hinges on is how good he is as power <laughs> and if he's uh if he's over the top or can't quite manage it then it could fall apart but um, i i've, I've got hopes that it's going to be pretty good
1: yeah, I think it, certainly his more recent films have def- just demonstrated a flair for the lavish as well, which I think mm. is there in this trailer. And and he could have as- assembled any all-star cast, but it's a really interesting one that he's got here. Like just The different dynamics between that cast, I think could be quite fun. And just as they all stare aghast at that incredible moustache. I think yeah. um, I th- one thing I am quite interested in, I'm not going to spoil uh, who the murder on the Orient Express is, but I, I felt when I thought, Uh, saw it was being made i was wondering oh are they going to keep the ending as in the book or in previous Mm. adaptations uh or will there be a new spin on it or something because i thought it was quite famous but then i've been encountering other people who don't know who done it uh so i'm curious to see how whether it's just a reinvented classic and will play out exactly or if there's going to be any unexpected twists for those who might be familiar with the story already but either way mustache
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay what's your next one
1: um i guess well i want to talk about justice league but <laughs> uh, i'm going to actually pick because uh, i'm really really excited for pixar's coco i think which, yes uh, i think we've got coming out in november which just looks just watching the trailer for it again this morning it just looks that trailer in itself is just like quite a <laughs> a film that just takes you on a journey in itself isn't it so uh, whoever edited that together i think it's incredible uh, sort of almost feels like it's a with its ban on music is just a blend of footloose and <laughs> uh, book of the book of life i think wasn't it so yes yeah. it uh, looks like an incredible um sort of a, a really new way for pixar to just prove that they can do sensory storytelling with with they've done food they've done space <laughs> they've done thoughts now they're just going to be doing music and sound and its importance in family and storytelling i just think uh well they they just it's almost as if the more and more they become less marketable in some of their films mm. uh, to necessarily to children. They're still churning out Cars sequels. It's fine, but I'm just thinking this is some of the most incredible, uh, sort of brave, bold story and imaginative storytelling that uh, that that's been around at the moment. I think it's Pixar. So if we're talking award seasons, I just want to stake my claim for uh, best animated feature here already, and that's just the trailer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm very very excited. For I'm I'm excited for any new Pixar except Cars three. Which um, uh, was the first Pixar film I did not go and watch in the theater in my entire life. I've seen all of them in the theater. For Cars Three, I was just like, no, no, can't do it. Shouldn't have done it for Cars Two. <laughs> won't do it. Won't do it for Cars Three. Um, but this one looks uh, a lot better. Obviously, it's an original story, which is what I think Pixar tend to do well. Like even something like The Good Dinosaur has a lot to recommend it as an original story. Yeah, um, I love that film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just say that because it was a movie that didn't do very well, and it seemed kind of mm. as the uh, is is kind of the black sheep of the family at this point. It feels like, but um yeah. it's
1: the the thing of a lesser Pixar movie. I just want to go. Yeah, it's still my second favorite film of the year. Or something, <laughs> <isn't it? laughs>
0: um, so I'm always excited when they try something new, and this, like you say, it looks genuinely like they're going in a new direction. It's a new kind of story, like you know, talking about um, Pete, uh, to like not not white characters which is something that they tend to do about except for sully obviously but you know like characters who are are people of color that's a big thing that they don't do very often and like i like to see them try things that are outside of stuff that they've they've always done um and yeah it just looks it looks great i I hope it's it's really really good i hope it becomes one of their one of their uh classics um as I do with all of their movies, and sometimes they let me down, but more often than not, they don't. Which is the amazing thing about Pixar.
1: Yeah, um, it it really is a strange sort of seasonal thing. Like you say, the the Saw movies heralding the arrival of the fall or autumn, and then but then there's usually a Pixar movie afterwards. So if you could just get through, <laughs> just get
0: through the survival horror, <laughs> as a um, reward. Uh, okay, let's talk about Justice League. You said you wanted to talk about Justice League. I'm going to throw it out there. Fine. What? <laughs> how are? What are your your th- thoughts on it because i i like the cast i think there are some moments in the trailer that seem pretty funny i think that there's the aquaman seems like he's going to be a fun a lot of fun to watch but so much of it just looks like that Zack Snyder gray soup style <laughs> just just all of his movies they just all blend together into that and it looks even worse because I guess they're fighting dark or whatever and they're going to go to alien worlds or whatever and all of it is just like oh this is getting less colorful this is like even more of the color is being drained out of this movie and making it indistinguishable um I don't know if the reshoots that are currently ongoing will change that very much because so much of the movie is already set in stone but um it like, a
1: grey like, soup, but with uh, quippy croutons. I would say would probably be the uh, the additions there.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, what about what about jokes? Have, has anyone thought of jokes? We can add those in. Um, yeah, no,
1: I, I am quite. Uh, I am. I'm excited to see a Justice League movie. I am a mm. DC fanboy as much as I enjoy the Marvel franchise. Well, I'm, I'm just a fan of superheroes, I guess, but I am a DC boy at heart, and I'm excited to see Cyborg on the big screen. You know, that's kind of exciting to me yeah. as well as, as well as and, and definitely Aquaman definitely gets the moment of the trailer for me where he, he surfs a sort of dead alien down into a building <laughs> that crashes and explodes <laughs> and he just walks out and goes, ah, <laughs> in a sort of hearty, jolly manner afterwards. So I feel that he's the perfect blend of Hulk and Thor in that sort mm. of strange, invulnerable, oh, this is a bit of a laugh, isn't it? <laughs> so, so uh, but yeah, so stop comparing DC and Marvel characters, John. That's not fair. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think the fact that um, I do think that the success uh, both, commercially and as critically of wonder woman and the fact that she's now front and center in the marketing of it almost uh, feels like a positive step as well and uh, it'll be interesting to see how a film with two directors essentially manages to uh, sort of come together but i, I do hope it is I'm, I'm being a bit down on it just because it's it feels like it's been hard work to be a dc comics fan <laughs> um not necessarily because of the films but i guess because yeah, i came out of batman versus superman uh kind of going well needing the toilet for starters but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it felt coming out they're going there are probably about four different films you could have made into a good film there but mm. they're all scrambled in it's it's almost a case of trying to do too much i think and rather than i think wonder woman it sounds like both our joys was actually just letting the characters move around a bit <laughs> and yeah. just uh and, and so if there's some of that in here, and, and it isn't all based on quips, because I feel that was the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 problem, is that the characters kind of, you know, hey, remember that first film where we became a family? Well, for some reason, we're not again, but now we are, we will be again. Uh, but in the meantime, here we're all just going to slag each other off. <laughs> so if, uh, I mean, if the Justice League wants to be an interesting, sort of on an interesting first date as they get together to fight Darkseid, you know, classic romantic uh, occasion, <laughs> then... I really hope it could just be a fun, exciting action movie uh, with some, you know, these are icons there for me. Mm. And it, it, uh, seeing Jason as Aquaman is really exciting just to see any Aquaman on screen. And it, it does feel like there's been a push to get him to be a more credible character after his uh, merciless mocking on things like Robot Chicken or mm. Big Bang Theory. <laughs> it just feels like now is his time. So um, it just feels like, I don't know. It feels like we're getting to the end of the year and I keep going, oh yeah, Justice League. So mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> maybe uh, it's having it in the same year as Wonder Woman even wasn't... Because uh, it's going to have to be pretty good to be the best DC film of the year. Whereas yeah. last year, it felt like Batman versus Superman being the only DC film that year, other than Suicide Squad, was still going to have to... You know, They were just battling to go, oh, let's see if we can come joint last. Whereas <laughs> it's just, so, <laughs> it's it's uh almost we haven't quite got the momentum going yet of actually even having two films out in a year let alone are we ready for it but so just fingers crossed there's an appetite that that everything is coming together in post-production with uh new new scenes and reshoots and just you know it would be lovely if it was
0: good (laughs) Mm. yeah i i think for me like again not to compare marvel and dc but it it, it, dc the movies have have tried to ape the Marvel model of like introducing the characters in their own movies, but they, they basically skipped all of the steps. Like, instead of going, okay, we're going to introduce Superman in this movie, then Batman, then you know Flash will make a movie that's maybe got a little bit less of a budget there, Aquaman a little less of a budget, and then they all come together. It literally has just been like, okay, first he equals Superman, then Superman and Batman fight, even though we've, we're reintroducing Batman and Wonder Woman at the same time. And Wonder when gets her own movie. Now all of them fight, and we're going to introduce these two new characters. Great. It it really is like they've skipped so many of these steps in what Marvel did that was successful, which was very carefully laying the groundwork until like you're three years in, you've had what six movies, and suddenly oh okay now they're all going to fight. That makes sense. It's like it does feel as if they bungled it, and they're kind of just having to power through and hope that it all works out. And so far, it's only worked out one of four times um and my hope is like oh maybe this one you know they'll write the ship and it will be fun because like the, the only the major problem i have with like the Zack snyder movies is they're just really boring they're not they've got these iconic characters but they're they're shot in this way that just deri- de- deprives them of like drama and excitement and it's just like i, I do it doesn't have to be kind of a, a great masterpiece but like if you could make me a movie that features the justice league and it's really fun i'd really appreciate it yeah i feel that the um I, I, it's yeah I, I i actually
1: quite admire that they haven't aped the marvel model actually mm. i mean i think having superman and then batman versus superman because these are characters that everybody knows i i think don't think that that's a problem yeah i just feel that it's the fact that the film wasn't very entertaining is the problem yeah. because how much explanation of batman did you really need you know for him to turn up um i think that's fine and but yeah and i think but introducing wonder woman again was fine and she was certainly the highlight of the movie but then yeah introducing the others in weird little vignettes uh, kind of it kind of feels like if you're watching a tv show and you kind of go oh when you get to the end of the series episode three will make more sense but they're trying <laughs> to do that across nine years and i yeah. feel that that's maybe a little more than uh, more than we're expecting it, to go whatever Flash's weird time travel cameo to uh, mm. bruce asleep and batman versus superman was about will we remember or more importantly will we care I think yeah. is the bit they're forgetting about so, so yeah so oh it would be lovely yeah like you say if you could just be that yeah if Justice League could just be the Ant-Man of the DC universe <laughs> that would be fine
0: but but the other thing that's like uh, we, we were joking about the the surfeit of Joker movies that are currently going around Hollywood it seems but like I, I actually genuinely find the idea that DC would just decide oh we're just going to make a bunch of movies and most of them aren't going to be tied into the main continuity and they may star different actors and with different directors that to me like as breaking from the marvel model sounds genuinely exciting mm. like the idea is like oh it's going to actually be like comics where you have one-offs and you have different series running at the same time that aren't really connected to each other that'd be great but like the problem is like oh they're all going to be about the joker <laughs> they're all going to yeah. be about <laughs> this character that has been run into the ground so completely and that everyone every right-thinking person is sick of at this point, at least, you know, and that they should maybe like let him cool his heels for a bit and focus on different characters. You know, that'd be that'd be more interesting. But yeah, like it, to me that I think, oh, like if they genuinely just said, okay, we're going to do, do a bunch of movies. There's going to be the main continuity and everything else is just going to be kind of fun, like separate things. I, I wouldn't mind that. It's just, they don't seem to really be committing to that completely by picking out more obscure characters or uh, more kind of, scaled down stories because if you're going to have the joker in something it does feel like suddenly the budget is going to be like 150 million because he's one of the most iconic dc characters and you can't not spend a lot of money on a joker movie
1: yeah definitely i mean to an extent if i mean i gather there's still being developed uh the justice league dark movie or dark yeah. universe or is is i gather got new writers again this week so if something like that if if there's it's almost like i don't necessarily mind because this is often the way it is with my comics reading but i don't actually read justice league comics but i do read the comics that are of the superheroes who are more the b-level ones who are around the fringe because mm-hmm. i they're not involved in massive crossovers all the time, which I find quite tedious. So, uh, if if we can get Swamp Thing and uh, and Zatanna and uh, and and John Constantine up on screen again, that would be great. So, I mean, you could even take Constantine out of that mixer because <laughs> I th- kind of feel he's the easy uh, o- over overloaded kind of uh, yeah. mystical character who might be a bit bogged down and be this. Oh, but he's going to be this cool Wolverine guy, but <laughs> inevitably we will need him, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, so I just think it's. If 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 you can have like a bad superhero totem pole going up the middle, <laughs> but then <laughs> that's fine for me if that makes enough success. But you can enjoy these weird little ancillary characters along the way. So yeah, yeah. So it, it's curious to see it all unfolding, and, and I'm sure they're quite curious too. But <laughs> uh, one way or another, I expect there to be a shuffle in DC's plans for future movies after the release of Justice League. So.
0: Yep, yep, definitely. Uh, what's your next one for November?
1: Um, not a great deal actually other than i was just quite curious by the existence of the new death wish movie <laughs> again i feel mm. like i'm not really leaning us towards award season it's uh it's just following on from i'm curious we were talking about our like for revenge movies actually and just it's i always thought that death wish was a movie that could stand a modern remake Uh, And about the sort of nihilism and emptiness, uh, but attraction of things like vengeance. But uh, yep, that trailer doesn't look like that film, does it? (laughs) It looks more like they're remaking Death Wish 4. That guy kills that other guy, (laughs) I think was its uh, subtitle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the one that made very liberal use of, well, not liberal, but uh, made a very strong... (laughs) A strong use of uh, a rocket launcher if i remember correctly i think that one mm. there's a, a lot of people die in a lot of ways um yeah it's not the nuanced it's not the nuanced take on the corrosive nature of vengeance that the first one isn't really but at least kind of is trying to be uh, yeah
1: or even just having elements of it that still lures people in by being a sort of gung-ho uh yeah a sort of it, 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 spectacle even you know but with elements of something there's you can uh, toe the line a bit, and maybe that trailer is just luring us in. But mm. yeah, as if it's Death Wish colon slash ruptured colon. <laughs> I think it's uh, going to be an interesting uh, uh, sort of just like oh, I see you've made things worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the um, the thing that I just find really funny about the I- even the very idea of a Death Wish remake is it's just like you don't need the Death Wish branding <laughs> to make mm. a Death Wish movie. <laughs> it's just like what's the plot? Oh, Guy's family die, he goes and kills people. Okay, you don't really need to have... Like, no one's going to get you in court over that.
1: (laughs) Wait a minute, that seems familiar. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's just like, there's very, it's very easy to just make a movie with that premise without it having to be branded with Death Wish. It just seems like one of the more arbitrary choices for Remake I can think of. It really is just a case of them going through their files saying, what do we own the rights to? Okay, this. I guess this would be easy to knock together.
1: Um, Did somebody write the script? Just like as someone younger than us write the script, just who happened not to know the Death Wish franchise and just inadvertently <laughs> came up with it again.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's, because it, uh, yeah, because everyone else does. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's his, it's yeah. his Billy and the Clonosaurus <laughs> um, but
1: Yeah, but uh, yes, moving on swiftly. Then sorry to bring that up, but I just I was going through the releases of the year. I went, oh yeah, Death Wish. I watched yeah. that trailer. Yay. Yeah,
0: that's, <laughs> that was definitely one that I saw. This is like, oh yeah, that is happening. what a a weird time we live in then the last one um of real i'll I'll bunch two together um there's a movie called last flag flying which is the new movie from richard linklater which is something i'd be excited for anyway because i like him a lot but um what i'm really excited about is it is a pseudo sequel to a movie called the last detail which was a movie from the 70s starring jack nicholson about a couple of um longshoremen who have to escort a another longshoreman to prison so that they can kind of serve out their sentence. It's a wonderful movie, great performance by Jack Nicholson, directed by Hal Ashley, Ashby, one of the best movies I think ever made from that period. And it's really, really good. This is a based, I believe on like the sequel novel. And it's basically about the same characters years later meeting up one of whom's uh, son has been killed in combat. And so they have to kind of transport the body. And so in this one, the characters have different names, but it's essentially the same characters played by Brian Cranston, um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Steve Carell. And uh, it looks very sweet and kind of warm from the trailer. It makes good use of Neil Young's Old Man, which is a, a beautiful song. And um, like, I like I like all of those people involved. Uh, I'm excited to see what a follow up sort of to this movie that I love is going to be like. Uh, and yeah it just it just looked really cool to me and the other one is uh three billboards outside of ebbing missouri which is a, a wonderful title for a movie um the new movie from martin mcdonough who directed in bruges and seven psychopaths starring francis mcdormand as a woman whose daughter was murdered and she launches a vendetta against the corrupt police force in her small town the trailer for it particularly the red band trailer is very sweary um <laughs> it's uh yeah, Francis McDormand seems to be having a very good time spouting out some of uh, Martin McDonagh's dialogue, and it's got a great selection of characters in it. It's got people like Sam Rockwell, it's got Woody Harrelson, the aforementioned Woody Harrelson, the aforementioned Caleb Landry Jones, who um, I really is he playing feel...
1: a good character or a less mm. good character. <laughs>
0: um, he's he's in the as far as I can tell, he's playing a character who rents because basically she is. A woman, like I say, her daughter's been killed, so she rents billboard space, which kind of have messages taunting the police and kind of gets attention back to the case, and then she goes to more extreme lengths. He plays the guy who rents her out the billboard space. So. Oh, okay.
1: Well, that sounds like an honest profession. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's more benign than he usually is. Um, oh, well done. <laughs> I've been saying he seems to be very nicely positioning himself as the latest in the lineage of people like Willem Dafoe and Ben Mendelssohn, of like character actors who you would not want to sit next to on a bus. I was just like you. Just see them. And you think I'm going to move away. You you look like you're probably going to hurt me. Um, but he definitely. Oh, you're talking about Willem Dafoe's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> he does actually look very sweet in the Florida Project. But um, most of the time, not so sweet. <laughs> Bobby Bobby Peru is not a sweet character for anyone who knows the world at heart. But you know, both of those films look really interesting to me. They're both from directors who work I like I like a lot, and they both great casts. Uh, and they neither of them seems like they will have a big chance at Oscar season just because there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of buzz about either of them but they both look like they could be hugely entertaining movies.
1: I'd missed both of those, so but you've just named incredible filmmakers and casts that I'm very excited about. For so, mm. I'm glad I listened to this podcast. <laughs> so, no, I'd not seen about that, but yeah. But talking of yeah, we were saying about Ellen Page earlier. So seeing Francis McDormand leading a movie is definitely something that uh, it's been far too long for, hasn't it? And yeah, and that sounds like an amazing team up for Steve Carell, Lawrence Fishburne, and, uh, and Brian Cranston as well. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, yep. uh, yeah pretty great i've got an idea those three actors are in it what's the film about we'll come up with that bit <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay so we're now into december uh lead us off john uh,
1: i think well uh, obviously there are very very big movies coming out of december mm. but i'm really really excited for the greatest showman which is mm. uh, hugh jackman playing pt barnum in big barnstorming musical style uh, i i just I really like Hugh Jackman when he's not being Wolverine. <laughs> I think, I, and don't get me wrong, I love him as Wolverine. Uh, but I, I just think that he's managed to perfectly balance uh, a one, a one as Wolverine, a one not as Wolverine, sort of career <laughs> for however long he's been doing that. And it's 17 years he's been doing Wolverine, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So, um. Yeah. So, and I do feel that this will be the big final show-stopping number because uh, he is a really good uh, song and dance man as is uh, and his Oscars uh, uh, work has has shown us, but and I just think Barnum is a really interesting story as well of his uh, his sideshow attraction. So I'm really really looking forward to that one, especially if it's in the middle of a bleak uh, winter of Death Wish on the Orient Express. Uh, just <laughs> just uh, just, uh, just just think that could be really really fun.
0: Yeah, and and you know it's it's fun to see a big original musical. Obviously, we had La La Land last year, which wasn't. It became a big movie, but I don't think when it was when it was launched, they thought, "Oh, this is going to make like hundreds of millions of dollars." It's nice to see one where they seem to be really going full on for the idea of, like, okay, we're going to make a musical about this historical figure, and we're really going to throw all our weight behind it. And yeah, um,
1: it really feels like a proper old-fashioned, old-school sort of attempt. At maybe it is going in for the the Oscars as well. I mean, on on some level, so I mean, mm. certainly. Any I've just only seen a few sort of stills and things of it, but just it looks vibrant, so I think we we'll, might at least be looking for design and I'm hoping the music would be good yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it's just it'd just be very nice if we could get to a stage where it wasn't just Disney who were making original musicals <laughs> you know making uh, animated musicals if we could get back to a time when there's a lot of people who Oh, well, not a lot, but like at least a couple of like original musicals this year. Because we've got a lot of people who are talented song and dance people. Like Channing Tatum, I think could probably. I don't mm. know how good he is at singing, but certainly at dancing, he could probably. Um, actually, no, he's, he's he's got quite a nice voice on No Dames, hasn't he? In, yeah, uh, I was going to say I was. I, I, I
1: thought that was him singing. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure there's plenty of people who could could really kind of do it if they wanted to, uh, and maybe if this is a success, we could kind of see a revival. In, in the or it will be just like you know uh, the western where every five years a western comes out that does really well it's like oh the genre's back and it's like nope <laughs> no everyone's just, just gonna make low budget versions of this for the next five years until the next one comes along well even if this
1: is a blip uh, it's one i'm very very excited about and i, I mm. think because i think it's released on uh, boxing day over here or, nice. or certainly very specifically to christmas and i'm just thinking that actually is a, a lovely thing to look forward to
0: mm. <laughs> so. Uh, I'm gonna say my one is, uh, The Disaster Artist, which is the new movie by, directed and written by James Franco, or at least directed by, maybe it was written by some, no, it was written by the guys who did Edward. Hey listeners, this is Future Ed, editing the episode, just butting in to say, I was completely wrong on that one, it's not the guys who wrote Edward, it's the guys who wrote The Spectacular Now. So it's, uh, The Disaster Artist by, uh, which is an adaptation of the... Uh, Of the uh, memoir by Greg Sestero, who was a supporting player in The Room, notoriously one of the worst movies ever made, but also one of the most entertaining movies ever made. So it's got that going for it and uh, written uh, starring uh, James Franco as Tommy Wiseau, the legendary strange lead and creative juggernaut behind that movie. Uh, and from what everyone said about it, it's just a kind of a hugely entertaining movie based on a very entertaining and strange memoir uh, with the tone of, of something like an Edward, you know, where you take a movie about a colossal failure and make it into a strange triumph. Um, there's only been, it played, I think, at Sundance this year and got rave reviews. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to see it. The trailer looks very, very funny. The trailer that's been released so far is just of tommy played by franco failing to say one line of dialogue whilst walking through a door onto a roof uh and uh that's just and and what's even better about it is that when he does say it right it's still terrible and that's just the the feeling that you get about how the room was made it's like even when they did something right it was still wrong and i just i just really am excited to see what they do with that material i think
1: I am excited for this movie, but I must confess I've not actually watched the room, <laughs> so uh, I I I know need to watch it properly. So I think I'm going to have to head to the Prince Charles Cinema and and throw plastic spoons at the screen or certain points for various things for the proper yell along uh, moments. So, uh, uh, but I, I I know I need to watch it and presumably in advance of this. That said. I've never seen Troll Two, and Best Worst Movie is one of my favourite uh, documentaries ever. And I kind of, to an extent, don't want to see it because the scenes, uh, the scenes that they sort of parody in it, without context, are even
0: more abstract and bizarre. So I wonder if there'll be a similar market for this in terms of. I have seen Troll 2. I did watch it after. Because I think it was on Netflix for a little while at the same time that Best Worst Movie was. And I watched Best Worst Movie with some friends. And then we were like, okay, I guess we have to watch Troll 2 now. Uh, And it was good. (laughs) I mean not good but it's a lot of... <laughs> it was good that's not the consensus <laughs> uh you it know it, it's it's really it's genuinely a very enjoyable movie and um what's great about it is the stuff that's taken out of context in best words movie makes less sense in context like, okay because that's it my is... worry i
1: don't want things making sense <laughs> that's my problem so. But, okay so would you but, recommend a double bill of the disaster artist and then the room or vice versa uh
0: i would say you should probably you should probably watch the room first okay. I I think it's best watched with a group of friends just so you can sit there and think why why is any of this happening um, <laughs> the on, the only thing to know in advance because not everyone tells you this but there are a few desultory sex scenes in it which you can which you can kind of skip through. Um, Everybody's
1: told me about those, if I'm honest. (laughs) Because they all feature uh, Tommy Wiseau. I'm going to film myself doing this now. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I'm going to film myself being incredibly bad at sex. But yeah, I think it's, it's definitely worth watching just to kind of pick apart, certainly for you as a writer, to kind of pick apart how exactly these creative choices were made why was this character introduced in just this one scene and never heard from again and why are they so why are they so emotionally invested in this relationship when we have no idea who they are or why they're here that sort of thing it's just it's just kind of fun to kind of pick apart try and work out what the campbellian arc of the whole thing is um, oh
1: fantastic right so i need to uh, <laughs> do my essays on it as well then brilliant. yeah exactly
0: <laughs> uh but no I, I think the room is is a lot of fun to watch um and like like all bad movies, it's, like all good bad movies, it's rarely dull, but always inexplicable.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Uh,
0: okay, what have you got next?
1: Um, well, this is for me a film I'm looking forward to, but, but I have deliberately sort of gone trying not to find out much about as much as possible but all I know is that Guillermo del Toro Mm. is releasing The Shape of Water in early December I know that there is some sort of aqua beastie kind of thing I accidentally saw some sort of myrrh creature I think before I quickly closed the page but all I know is that I am very much looking forward to a new Guillermo del Toro film you're more than welcome to talk about it in more detail but uh, but I just don't want to watch any trailers or see any visuals of it until I'm it's sitting in the cinema
0: yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's about as much as I know about it. I did watch the trailer, and the trailer is very ethereal and magical, as you would expect from Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Sally Hawkins looks to be very, very good in it as a uh, mute woman who kind of befriends this creature of the Black Lagoon-esque character played by Doug Jones, unsurprisingly. <laughs> He's just like when i like i decided you spoiled
1: everything for me now doug jones is
0: in this movie (laughs) doug jones in a a guillermo del toro feature (laughs) i know um in what i guess amounts to a starring turn for him because usually he'll play like a a supporting character or just like a um beastie that you like he's because he does i think a bunch of the motion capture stuff in um crimson peak but it's not like he's Mm. the star of that movie is just like there um but th- this certainly feels like because he's he's playing the other half of this friendship that develops between the two of them michael shannon looks to be very very good in it as um kind of one of the researchers investigating this this creature uh and it does seem to be like crimson peak it seems to be an interesting melding of his the kind of more poetic part of his sensibility that gives us stuff like the devil's backbone bone and and pan's labyrinth and the kind of the more pulpier side of him that gives us the Hellboy movies, both of which I love. I love both halves of his career. And it's interesting when he tries to kind of combine the two of them. And, and um, I particularly like the fact that there seems to be this thing now, the new trend is trying to predict which original movies are secretly prequels to established (laughs) franchises. Um, and this one like so many people have, so many people online have said oh this is actually a prequel to hellboy and that's abe Sabium. It's like no because how would the rights to that work out they couldn't like yeah. they couldn't make the movie and not credit mike mignola in the credits to the trailer because they'd be sued so much
1: um, but you know, it's, it's, it's quite uh, obvious that this is a prequel to Man of Steel, and Michael Shannon's <laughs> researcher character is actually some sort of general <laughs> from uh, <laughs> from Krypton. I think that's what we can all assume. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, life was the other one. I can't remember what movie everyone said life was- life that everyone said was going to be a prequel to Venom, <laughs> the forthcoming yeah. Venom movie. And it's just like, no. why? Why would they and make a movie that was a secret prequel to a movie that's not even in production yet? It's so crazy. I can see
1: how that would have worked but uh, yeah. yeah. But Life life was actually a movie I very much enjoyed. I should have added that to my I think that was out earlier than the summer as such wasn't mm. it? But yeah, that was actually a really pleasant surprise and I assumed was going to be part of the Cloverfield universe as well but that's my <laughs> answer to everything these days
0: <laughs> Okay, my next one is uh, a movie called The Post also known as The Papers but I believe it's just been t- changed its title to The Post uh, It's a movie by Steven Spielberg? <laughs> Just be, some newcomer about the Pentagon Papers, which was the uh, papers that the the documents leaked to the new to the Washington Post by Daniel Ellsberg in the seventies, which kind of unveiled the secret history of the Vietnam War at the American government's. Um, how they got involved in that war earlier than people expected and much more fully than people expected and basically exposed a lot of the lies that had been told about the war for many many years to justify the American presence there and their involvement and is a kind of a great story of journalistic efforts and whistleblowing on the part of Daniel Ellsberg um, played in the movie by Zach Woods of Silicon Valley fame which I love because he also played a pseudo Edward Snowden character in The Good Wife so something about him (laughs) makes everyone think that guy could leak some secrets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that guy can't be trusted um, um oh, man. that, that, but that must be
1: the competition in hollywood is it who can get stereotyped in the most specific way <laughs> <laughs> that guy always drinks milk in films <laughs>
0: um, but it's got um it's got a fantastic cast it's got uh, tom hanks uh meryl streak uh allison brie um carrie coon david cross bruce greenwood Uh, matthew reese from the americans basically everyone's joke about it is that the the, steven spielberg's been watching a lot of prestige television and just kind of making a list of people he wants to work with who's in the hottest cable drama right now okay good they're in this one Um, it's a
1: fine way to be though i think
0: (laughs) yeah um but it's uh it look it's a great story great cast great director working in a a genre that i think would kind of play to his his strengths the only problem is that people seem to disagree about when it's coming out. Like I've seen people online say that it comes out in late December. Some people say it comes out in early January. I think the late December people are correct because if it came out in early January, it would be ineligible for Oscars and that would seem to be insane for them to put out a Steven Spielberg movie at a point when it couldn't compete for Oscars considering who he is. Um, so yeah. uh, I'm very, I'm very very excited for that one. It's good of them to take a punt on this uh, this young fella. it? <laughs> <so. laughs> But yeah, so, uh, I, I just think that that movie sounds great. Hopefully will be great. I've enjoyed recent Spielberg films more than I think a lot of people have. People seem to be pretty down on him. There was a, a big controversy on Twitter a few weeks ago about people saying like, when was the last time Spielberg made a great movie? And then like everyone was just like furious about him. Like saying, what oh, about Lincoln? What about Bridge of Spies? And I, I, yeah. I, I think they're not as iconic maybe or they're not as exciting as his early movies, but I like this kind of latter-day spielberg stuff of making stuff that's just very handsomely made very enjoyable movies um yeah yeah. i
1: feel that as well i think that he's definitely still i mean the bfg i granted was 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 not um i I actually i found it an incredibly engrossing movie but not a lot happens really i guess for for the majority of it whereas i think he's still making films that bridge of spies that i don't think anyone else could make i don't think Mm. uh you could have certainly have other filmmakers making it again a far more sort of grueling kind of harrowing it i feel like i've used the word intense about 90 billion <laughs> times this recording but uh, uh, but but the, the like you say a sort of a handsome and a sort of a grand and hopeful strand to it as well i think is very much uh spielberg thing i, f- I feel he did go through a phase of losing his um almost optimism at some mm-hmm. at some points i think uh sort of around the munich war of the world's minority report kind of era i feel yeah. that, uh, that he was definitely having a downbeat phase but I feel that that's all right because the population of the Earth was and maybe uh, he's sort of, you know, finding his way back to it, which I think, and, and looking back to the past is actually a way that he seems to find that as well, I would say, mm. in most of his movies. So, yeah, this is one that I'm, I'm very much looking forward to as well, which kind of takes it off the list for me. So, which means, mm. I, should I mention The Last Jedi? <laughs>
0: I guess. I mean, are people really excited for a Star Wars movie?
1: I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I am excited for a star wars movie i think as we've announced in the past i am slightly more star trek than i am star wars but mm-hmm. it's not to say i'm not looking forward to this and i am particularly looking forward to it's ryan Johnson star wars yes. movie as well so i think uh, what's interesting for me is uh, having seen episode seven and rogue one and then at both at the cinema and enjoyed them both is that then having seen them again is that I enjoyed episode seven uh, a hell of a lot more. And Mm. I actually think Rogue One's pretty bad, (laughs) actually. (laughs) So maybe I enjoyed it as a cinematic experience, but I don't think it's a very good film at all. (laughs) So, uh, Whereas I'm actually far more excited about episode seven. And in particular, I love the first act, which is Mm. all the new characters. And I felt that things actually just slowed down a bit once Harrison Ford shambles in and breaks his ankle.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I had a very similar experience. I haven't rewatched Rogue One since the cinema. So for me, it's still a movie that I kind of enjoyed. Uh, although, as people pointed out, when me and Matt did our episode on it, we spent about 75% of the fa- of the time pointing out everything we didn't like about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last quarter is like, actually, you know, we re-enjoyed really it. <laughs> it was pretty fun. But um, yeah, I've rewatched watched um, uh, episode seven a bunch of times. And every time... I just find something more to like in it, um, particularly, like you say, the first half. Like, I think it was um, I think it was uh, David Ehrlich who said, like, the first half of episode seven is like some of the most thrilling myth making and blockbuster filmmaking he could remember. And I, I agree. It's just like, oh, my God, it's so exciting being introduced to all these new people. And mm. there's a sense of discovery and adventure to it all. And then like, oh, yeah, the, the old characters have come in. yeah
1: it's certainly not to this it's i mean the ending of seeing well i mean what's going to happen with luke i'm genuinely excited about Mm. i was very excited to see han and leia back and obviously uh, now that uh we've lost carrie fisher that just to see how they'll wrap up that story and hopefully do that character justice uh to, to be as important as she is uh um, but but also just to see her again on screen just generally being a badass general you know mm. you only needed one shot of that and I think everybody went yes <laughs> that that's certainly what would happen isn't it I think so uh, I think yeah but I, I it's yeah I think it's definitely what you said about it being myth making and pushing things further whereas I mean not only was Rogue One looking back to the past but it just felt like it was perpetually nods to things mm-hmm. that you're going hey remember that thing and to which I've replied yes Oh right, I meant to care. <laughs> <laughs> that film certainly had things in it. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong; I, I wouldn't mind a, uh, a a prequel prequel to um, uh, Alan Tudyk's uh, KS Two O. I forget his name. <laughs> Just uh, him being yeah, a general right murder droid, <laughs> sarcastic pissy murder droid. Is uh, you know, I'm all for that. But uh, yeah, but I felt it felt less of a surprise. I felt mm. that the. Um, even though it's a film that we knew how it was going to end, I mean, I'm, I still think it's quite brave that they sort of um, end on what is essentially quite a downer, despite the moment yeah. of hope in the final seconds. But, uh, but it just, it just felt like if you were allowed to play with the toys and then film yourselves on a really expensive YouTube video. So, <laughs> is, um, and it, and maybe for me it just didn't work, just not on the big screen. So, um, mm. yeah, but I'm really excited about what i don't know about episode eight and going forwards and i think that's the thing of just like i'm excited to see ray again and finn and uh oscar isaac whose name i can never remember in the film what's his character's name poe dameron poe dameron thank you because uh, yeah it always to me sounds like i'm swearing because i can't remember his name poe dameron. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway yeah uh, but I'm also assuming that we will meet brand new characters as well, and it's just so yeah. So I'm just excited for what I don't know about it. But like everything the porgs, we-, we get to see yes. the porgs. <laughs> the porgs, of course, <laughs>
0: who are 10, 10, 10. from what what I can tell are basically just Tribbles. <laughs> that seems to be everyone says it's like oh they're these little creatures that just get everywhere. It's like oh like Tribbles, basically. Um, everyone seems really down on the porgs i think they look great <laughs> they just look, they're just like oh they look really cute <laughs> I, i'm I, sure they'll I... be
1: menaces in their own way and, as well yeah. as comedic and so, i think it's um yeah I, so i'm just quite interested to see where it goes next and again there's, there's something about the idea of having just like a big fun engaging and welcoming blockbuster in the middle mm. of december is actually just a lovely idea as well i think so Uh, Uh, i'm really really pleased that all of the blockbusters are moving out of the summer i just wish that there were actually some good ones left in there so that's my general thought on that
0: (laughs) yeah that that was kind of the the unexpected consequence of disney realizing like oh you can open a big movie at the end of the year and everyone will come and watch it she's like yeah oh guess we don't have to kind of put all of this good product in three months we can sprinkle it throughout the year it's like yeah but the, the cinemas are peep- closing for the
1: summer because yeah. there's nothing good on
0: <laughs> which weirdly is like a reversion to how it always used to be because prior mm. to jaws coming along and restructuring the year it used to be movies came out all the time you didn't have to just come out in the summer to be a hit or at the end of the year to get nominated for an oscar i will say one thing in uh rogue one's defense um forrest Whitaker's character is the most fun character to do an impression of uh in cinema <laughs> since uh since bane just like, poor oh, Gallant, you will know the truth. It's just its just a very fun voice
1: to do. Um, You're right. I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> and to be fair, the Star Wars universe is very much based on uh, fun impressions, really, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs>
0: Even in, just in walks. <laughs> just like... I mean, there's, whole, there's stand-ups whose whole careers are based on being able to impersonate <laughs> Star Wars characters. So I think that's the important thing. As long as they can keep doling out uh, impressions for people to do, they'll be fine. Um, excellent the uh, last one i have for december is the latest movie from paul thomas anderson called phantom thread which is him re-teaming with daniel day lewis for the first time since there'll be blood so a lot of expectations because that time around they made one of the best movies of all time um no pressure but this Mm -hmm. one Again, it's also a period set movie set in the 1950s, but set in the fashion industry. And that's all anyone knows about it, because no one knows anything about this movie other than the title, which even now, that could change for all you know. Um, But, you know, PTA has never steered me wrong. I've enjoyed all of his movies to to one degree or other. And Daniel Day-Lewis makes so few movies and is apparently retiring after this one that it feels like even more of an event than it was uh, initially. And I'm just, I'm just excited. Similar to the Last Jedi, weirdly, um, <laughs> it's it's nice going into a movie, not quite knowing what's going to happen, like not really knowing that much about what it's going to do, uh, and and that is when Paul Thomas Anderson is is most exciting when he's offering you something, and you just have to take a leap of faith that it's going to be worth your time, and and more often than not, it is.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, and definitely one that's you know hopping around in December kind of going, oh, yeah, we'll just... Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's making a new movie. Well, we'll schedule it for December. I think we might put it up for some awards or some such. What's it about? Nobody knows. <laughs> I think the Coens did a great job with the the man who wasn't there of just pitching it for ages. Of, oh, it's set in the 1950s about a barber, and that was all they would tell anybody about it. So maybe the secret is just to enigmatically pitch films set in the 50s.
0: Yeah, and also uh, of, of um, equal excitement is the fact that it's reteaming him with uh Johnny Greenwood, who has done the scores for all of his movies, um, since There Will Be Blood, obviously from Radiohead. Uh and he has um consistently been one of the most exciting composers out there. Uh, for me. Like every time he, he comes out with something it's like, oh, this doesn't sound like anything else anyone else is doing, particularly at a time when a lot of film scores tend to veer towards the generic and they all kind of aim for the same sort of quality. Um yeah. he's someone who and and he and um and Paul Thomas Anderson have such a close working relationship that they do try and tailor their work to fit what the other is doing. Uh, and that kind of creative partnership is something that I'm, I'm excited to see taken a step further.
1: Yeah. It's great when people sort of work together to the point that they're actually pushing each other forward rather mm-hmm. than uh, into new directions, rather than just falling into a familiar groove as well yeah. as it just being easy shorthand for the actual collaboration. So yeah, so no, definitely an exciting one that, I I look forward to. It's almost like like I've deliberately cut out the shape of water from what I'm going to learn about. It's like some some filmmakers do that for you in advance, <laughs> yeah. and therefore pique your curiosity. <laughs> so, the yeah, bastards.
0: <laughs> uh, do you have anything else for December? That's uh, that's it for me. I think. Okay.
1: Lift-wise. Um, I guess I've sort of staked a vague claim that uh, maybe Coco could be up for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. Do you want to just make any uh, outlandish predictions for any specific Oscars?
0: <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. I think um, I think The Post will probably be get a Best Picture nomination because pretty much every Spielberg movie has, except for the BFG and Tintin. Pretty much everything else he's put in in the last like 10 years or so has got an Oscar nomination and uh, it seems too prestigious for them not to and he's too, he's too, he's just too beloved for them not to do it. I think Phantom Fred probably best actor. I don't know if it'll get anything else cuz like Paul Thomas Anderson seems to have he, he reached that point with There Will Be Blood where he thought oh he's going to every movie he's going to be making from now on is going to get um showered with plaudits and it hasn't happened. Like he's been they 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 will pick up acting nominations and writing nominations but that's it. So uh, I feel like Phantom Fred might suffer from that but Daniel Day-Lewis will get his fourth Oscar. Uh, and then he'll kind of waltz off into the sunset with his cobbling (laughs) tools in hand or 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 he'll be back in like five years it's i always find it very hard to believe that really talented people are going to retire like like with jay-z when he said he was retiring and then like four years later it's like oh here's a new album or same with steven soderbergh he said he was retiring but he just made a two a tv show and then made a movie again um but, yeah. but Retiring doesn't mean going home for the night, Stephen. <laughs> that's a different thing. Um, um, but but I think I think that's a I think that one has a good shot. I'm trying to think about like acting. Maybe Frances McDormand for Best Actress for uh, three billboards if that movie isn't too kind of scabrous for the mm. Academy. Uh, yeah, I I'll
1: just throw uh, just as a random punt: Kelly Macdonald as Best Supporting Actress in uh, Goodbye Christopher Robin, just because I I'd like that. that to happen. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, um, I can see that happening.
1: So where where are you putting Geostorm? Sorry, I missed that. In the uh, um, <laughs> it...
0: uh, that's going in Best Animated Short. Weirdly enough, they Best really Animated pushed...
1: Short. No, it's it's a fair. It's probably got as much chance. Uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's have a quick look on the list. Yes, maybe a, a best costume for Murder on the Orient Express, perhaps the best hair and makeup, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I could definitely see that, and maybe like, Thor will do really well in the technical categories. There's there's there's, there's very few the movies here. Maybe Molly's Game probably best screenplay because they because uh, Sorkin is very well liked by the Academy at this point for his for his writing work, so I could see that doing very well yeah there's is it I guess the problem is that the narratives about what the front runners are haven't really emerged yet yeah so <laughs> uh, uh, so and really that's how it should be it really should be like you, you don't know who the front front runners are until the awards are the nominations are announced and suddenly it's like oh these were the movies that everyone liked but like we're we're weeks away from the first like film festival screenings where people will come out and say Phantom Fred's a masterpiece it's gonna sweep everything and then it doesn't because everyone just got so excited about it um definitely no it's
1: it's strange how the the nominations sort of do act as a marketing campaign and especially over mm. here where often we don't get the films out until after um after the oscars or something so yeah uh, i'd like hidden figures this year definitely one of my favorite films uh, of the year so far but also just it wasn't even here until long after the buzz. <laughs> so um, I guess I'll just actually throw out for best foreign film in a foreign language. I think two of my favourite films this year have been Raw and mm. The Handmaiden, which are both very different films, but both yeah. uh, I think Raw is. I haven't haven't enjoyed a film in such that kind of almost gleeful revulsion at it that <laughs> I've uh, I've definitely enjoyed it. But it's it's uh, if you've not seen it, then I would definitely recommend it. It is not as gruesome as you might be led to believe, it'd be stories of people passing out and throwing up and stuff like that, it really is a character-driven story about two sisters, uh, but just with a secret. <laughs> so, And uh, yeah, The Handmaiden was just such a gleefully, giddy, uh, sort of fun sort of caper movie that's just, um, it, I don't know, just beautifully shot. So, I
0: think. Yeah, the raw... Yeah, no one's fainted in the screening that I went to see, but everyone did go... Yeah, that's fair points. enough, but... <laughs> And it was just nice to get that communal sense of like, oh, everyone's experienced this in the exact same way. We're all repelled. Yeah. There's <laughs> a, there's a, a dark
1: bonding humor to it as well. I mean, but there, there's people doing, um, you know, putting their hands just in purely veterinary purposes, just putting their hands up animals, just in, yeah. <laughs> which people equally went, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that's definitely, you know, at, at this point, that's probably my film of the year. So I would mm. love to see that um, up for an Oscar, or, or at least even with an original original screenplay nod maybe but yeah um, fingers crossed but we'll see about that one i'm not sure it's necessarily uh, to everyone's
0: <laughs> taste <laughs> uh, okay so we end every episode of the show with recommendations to, uh, pointing people towards things that they might like john what have you got to recommend for us
1: i think uh, the thing i've been uh, living for for the last 16 weeks has been twin peaks the return mm. uh, we um this morning uh, in the UK the 16th episode was released early accidentally for a brief window during which I managed to see it alert all my friends that it was there by which time it had vanished again so now everybody hates me that I've seen it a day early but uh, <laughs> uh, we are in the home stretch we only have the two part double bill finale left if you've if you dropped out of it at any point because it has been frustratingly uh, slow but in a way that I've also uh, enjoyed <laughs> in a mm. sort of captivating how far are they going to push me kind of way we have in the last three episodes, in particular, picked up an incredible momentum. Uh, so either just if you've never seen any of it or this new season, just watch Twin Peaks; it's brilliant. But if you have dropped out, especially come back because it's gone somewhere.
0: Yeah, I've been loving that show um, pretty much out. I mean, there there have been dead weeks, you know, <laughs> weeks where you think oh, not a huge amount happened there. I wasn't horrified or amused. But there have some, been some episodes that have been like the eighth episode is where everyone talks about, but um, the episode. The, the episode that began with Amanda Seyfried screaming on the phone um, was one of my favourites. It was just like the most... Uh, uh, and then at one point um, features a family reunion in a diner that gets rudely interrupted by gunfire. Mm. Um, that was one of my favourite episodes of, of anything I've seen this year. Uh, and, and even the episodes that haven't been great have featured moments that I've, I've loved and it's been great seeing that show come back but not in the way you expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we've
1: talked about this with our sequels and and so on. It's like it, they've been pushing it forwards and just as Twin Peaks changed and reinvented and reacted against television in, in 1990, it's just done the same thing now with Prestige telly I guess it's just mm. I mean, I, you could just say that um um that Twin Peaks the return is really just a parody of Game of Thrones, essentially just moving characters around a chessboard for 5 years. <laughs> so it's uh, Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's the plot of the sword in the stone, but for half a decade.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, and that's but, not but, to say it's not good. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's been it's been great. I haven't seen the 16th episode yet. I have to wait for a few hours, like a pleb. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see why how it ends. I'm uh, not looking forward to no longer getting to sit down every week and see the words directed by David Lynch on my screen because. That was nice. That was something that hadn't happened in a very long time. Um, so to see, to see, uh, to be given a glimpse into that man's mind for eighteen hours uh, has been a joy, even when it's been an unpleasant one. Um, so uh, yeah, so I heartily second that recommendation. I'm going to recommend uh, the anime Death Note, which I have been watching because uh, the the film version has been on Netflix and has been royally slated as not being very good, and so that inspired me to go and watch the anime that i've wanted to see for like three or four years at this point because everyone said oh yeah that's really really good and they're making a movie of it you should probably watch that before the terrible movie comes out thought, okay sure i will now that i can do it as an act of defiance against netflix for making a not a good movie but uh death note for people who are unfamiliar with the premise is a anime from 2006 about a boy who finds a notebook called a death note which is dropped by a uh, shinigami which is a japanese death god who and basically any time any person's name he writes in this book dies and he becomes over he becomes consumed with the life and death power that then uh, that gives him he decides to use it to become a kind of vigilante who just kind of kills criminals and then that obviously draws attention to him from the police, and from a mysterious figure called L, who starts investigating him, and then the, the the story becomes kind of about their cat and mouse game between L and Light, the the student who kind of uses the Death Note, and it's just a hugely enjoyable show. It's got lots of twists and turns that are are exciting to see, and it's very playful, um, but also it is about interrogating the mentality of someone who believes himself to be so ideologically pure and good that they um anoint themselves to be kind of judge jury and executioner by giving themselves this great power to write anyone's name down and then they die instantly uh and uh, i've been really really enjoying catching up on it belatedly it must be said but uh, i i really recommend it to people who um maybe people who like me aren't particularly into anime like you've only kind of dipped their toe in it i think it's certainly one of the more accessible versions of it although uh anyone who is kind of familiar with parodies of anime opening title sequences will be uh, maybe put off by the opening credits of Death note which play into the uh the tropes of the, the the subgenre very very heavily but the the actual show itself is i found to be kind of very engaging and very accessible
1: that's fantastic i've, I've not actually watched the anime but i'm a massive fan and would recommend the original manga as well so mm. uh, you can basically choose this story in any media you like <laughs> so, but uh, and i also have an adorable death note key ring as well because i am oh. a massive fan of it but similarly i'm not a I'm not very well versed in in sort of manga or anime generally, but I found this one hugely accessible and' really, really entertaining and it is the twists and turns and the sort of moral ambiguity of it all that is just delightful plus uh the death gods are surprisingly endearing and engaging characters in themselves with their fondness yeah. for apples and uh, <laughs> and such uh, such adorable qualities. <laughs>
0: Yeah, when you first see uh, Ryuk, the uh, the the main one that follows Light around, you think, "Oh, this guy's going to be incredibly terrifying and menacing." But like, he's just kind of like palling around with him all the time, and just kind of yeah. like being very kind of helpful and supportive. In some ways, it's a lot like a very sort of uh, devious Calvin
1: and Hobbes. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's going on the front cover. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> something outrageous there but yeah so I, I i am curious to see the uh the netflix movie and willem defoe is playing uh ryuk uh which uh you know as i was saying he's an adorable man what are you talking about <laughs> he doesn't play sinister characters <laughs> at all but uh but yes that they're, they're, i mean i would say that even just trying to condense this storyline into our feature film is something of a uh an obstacle before you even get mm. to the many other controversies and problems they seem to have encountered. But, yeah. uh, I don't think casting Willem Dafoe was one of those problems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great. Thank you, John, for coming on the show again. Um, Where can people find you online? Uh, Brilliant.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. Come and say hello on Twitter, which is at John, J-O-H-N, underscore Hunter. So do say hi, but uh, thank you very much for having me back and letting me witter on.
0: Thank you, it's been great. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review us. It helps people find the show and get us more listeners and all of that sort of thing. You can also find us on Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcasts, and we are on Facebook. We'll be back next time with something entirely different. But for now, it's goodbye from me.